0: Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Whoa! All right, welcome everybody to the Safety Doc Podcast here on Pi Day. Vanessa let me know that. I was not aware, but it is 3.14. I'm not going to go through the rest of it, but yes, it is Pi Day. Um, Pretty amazing, right? Also, one month and one day to tax day. So, something I need to get done. But welcome everybody to the Safety Doc Podcast. It is unusually cold today. And I don't kind of just say that for shock value because typically it is cold here in Wisconsin, but we were sold this forecast of 50 to 60 degrees all weekend. It just hasn't panned out. <laughs> so right now it's about 30 degrees and I needed to start a fire and that's the way that I heat my house. So I needed to, you know, fire up the burner and get it to temperature, get enough wood up there and Make sure that everything was circulating to uh, make sure it doesn't get too cold here at night. But I thought I'd be okay, you know, looking at the forecast. It was all right today. It wasn't great. Um, But yeah, so a plus and a minus from today. But first of all, a shout out to Vanessa Kitty, Solitude Surfer. good friend, Phil Henry from Germany. So right now, Andrew S. Wow. Um, Thank you so much for uh, being here. And, yeah, so show got uh, started a little later because I needed to um, fire up the boilers here at the uh, old safety dock homestead and uh, get the house heated. It's crazy how cold it is right now. We'll see if it gets warmer in the next couple of days. Um, at some point, it has to. So um, I did. I bought two things today. One, I wanted to buy a garden hose. So my garden hose of 20 years is it's inside of a, you know, box, right? You just reel it in and stuff like that in the, and uh, so I have one in the front, one in the back and actually one on the side of the house. So just as a hose, it just sits on the ground on stones. That hose is fine. Like never a problem. The one in the back, I opened up the hose reel and the hose is all consumed, like chewed up. So we have squirrels that, you know, the plastic edging that goes around your house or trees or something like that. They completely eat that. So I'm having that replaced um, next month with concrete edging. So good luck with that squirrels. But uh, but yeah, the first time in 20 years that we've lived here, I opened it up and like most of the hose was gone. <laughs> and I know it didn't happen in the garage because there wasn't any remnants of hose left, like from this chewing. So I usually take those in about the middle of October after we've had our first freeze. And so Squirrel must have got in there and just gone to town, which I don't know what the deal is. Like, what's the nutritional value in eating a hose? So, uh, but yeah, so it was a brand called Soft and Supple Hose by Swan. And uh, so I went to buy a replacement one today. And it's just not the same quality. It's (laughs) so I'm like, I'm just disappointed. Like all of all the hose options, there wasn't a good hose option. So I just went with another one of these and, you know, they have, I don't want to go with a hose that blends in with the lawn because if I leave it out there in a mowing or something else, they want like a little difference of so that kind of eliminates some of them, but I don't need anything heavy duty. It's just in the backyard for watering plants. And then I have to be able to get it down to where our um, flower garden is and stuff like that for sprinkler. But it's disappointing. I'm like, this quality sucks. Um, So anyway, like, as I'm, as I'm like, putting it in the hose reel, it's, like, kinking and stuff. Like, a non-kink hose, right? Like, I kinked eight times, and I'm trying to figure this out. But I'm like, well, it is what it is. But I also had to replace a shop light. I had a ballast go bad in one of my shop lights. And, you know, if you've got these fl- fluorescent tubes, they're really difficult to try to re- deal with, like, when they burn out. <laughs> like, right? If you you know we have a recycling center that's out of town, so you can take it there. And I'm like, but yeah, it's kind of a pain, and then you have to pay. So I'll end up doing that. I have like three dead bulbs I have to take there. So I bought a fluorescent fixture um, for like fifty bucks, and this thing is really great. It has two settings, like a high, which is ten thousand lumens, and a and a low, which is five thousand which is brighter than the, the baseline one I had in there and uh super easy to install. You can daisy chain these things. You can just plug them into each other and I have it hardwired. So I have a switch in my ceiling in my furnace room. When I flip on the switch for the lights, that switch becomes active. So it's really nice. It lights everything up. I'll probably get a couple more. So that's a positive. And to think like 50 bucks for something like that, that'll probably last <laughs> longer than a dock. Right. So, but, um, so that's been pretty cool, but yeah, the hose is, disappointing. I don't even, I don't know if there's a, you know, and I don't want to spend a lot on a garden hose either. Like that seems like a stupid investment (laughs) because like it could just get eaten up again. But at the same time, I'm like this, I don't know, like to go through all the selection, this was a major farm supply store that I went to today. Um, and I'm like, there was nothing here that I impressed me, you know? So, um, Anyway, it's not that big of a deal. It's a hose and whatever. But I was kind of bummed out. Um, but then, yeah, the light made up for it. Critters enjoy munching plastics. This is from uh, Vanessa. My neighbor said um, that, my, that they have had squirrels chewing now. Oh, well, we have squirrels and muskrats and things like that. We butt up against uh, parkland, which is authentically like, you know, Marsh and woods and stuff like that. But um, I've, I have never had this happen to our house. But right right next to us, 30 feet away, is our neighbor's house. And they said, the concrete, the squirrels are chewing the concrete on the house. I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know how you remedy that. But we haven't had that issue coming in. So, um, hey, this is our good friend John Steele saying, I saw the pics of your wood stash. You have enough firewood. To... You know, what I did. I'm down to about a quart and a half right now. From maybe, I don't know, 16, 17 cords to start the year. So, I'm down to about a cord and a half. So, that's how much firewood I burn. It's an insane amount. It actually, so, in front of me is the fireplace room, or not the fireplace, the furnace room, which then has the furnace. And then I also store, it's the reserve pantry, and it is um, where I store the firewood. I store it all the way up to, the well, not to the rafters. I leave about a foot between the rafters and the wood. And then I just put an eighteen-inch walk path on the left side and the right side, and that's it. So there's a lot of firewood down there, like I said, seventeen cords um, that I that I will put down there between October and November of every year. And now I'm down to like just a cord and a half, just kind of in a corner. Everything else is cleaned out. So burn a lot of firewood. That's how I heat my house, um, and that's so it's good. And what I do is then I put all the ash, not all of it, but I put a lot of the ash in the back my property in a big pile. So it looks like Mount St. Helens from uh, 1980, right, in Washington State. And then I take that, and as the as it warms up in spring and when it gets dry, because you don't want to deal with the stuff that's mushy and wet, I take the ash and I spread it around my yard because it's very nutrient-dense and I have sandy soil, so it's a win-win because I burn hardwoods. And then I put it over our garden and stuff like that. So, Vanessa's saying... Prairie dogs not through concrete. I found that out in a survey of black-footed ferrets in Colorado in April uh, 1907. So first of all, my voice, my voice is good, but I am narrating my own book. I'm narrating um, the Vlost, not the Vlost. I'm narrating School of Heirs, which released in 2019. And I, I, um, I practice every night narrating and then Wednesday mornings and Friday mornings, I go to the studio and with the sound engineer and we record the book, right? So that should be done by May because I, I don't record. I record for about 80 minutes and my voice kind of gives out. But, um, last night I did a lot of practice for an upcoming recording session. So that's where, Hey, it's Pokesabob. Bob. So, um, let me let me do something here, Pokespot. I'm going to give you a wrench because I know how well you manage um, the channel there for my good friend, Terrence Pop. So just give me a second here. I have three monitors in front of me, so you're like, what is Doc looking at? A ghost? Possibly. I mean, it's not, not that that couldn't happen, but I, no, I'm not. I'm looking at the third monitor. At some point, I, want to, I have three 27-inch monitors, which span... Over six feet in front of me, but the main monitor in front of me, I want to replace and go with something a little bit bigger, then push these side monitors out a little bit more. So I've got to think through this a little bit, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so that is awesome. And uh, yeah, it's excellent fertilizer, ashes. I burn hardwood. So yeah, it is very nutrient dense. And then Uh, every year I do that. So I appreciate, um, well, (laughs) so every year I do that, right. I just put a big pile of ash in the backyard. People are like, what, did your house burn down? I'm like, nope, nope, I'm good. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's, it's too cold. I mean, it's the middle of March and this is usually the time when I'm tuning up my bike because I bike a hundred miles in an outing in summer. And I, I try to get in, you know, in April, I try to do like 40 to 60 mile rides, so I was watching The Karate Kid last night, which is kind of unrelated to this, but um, it's kind of like my progression on riding. Like I, I just kind of have to work up to it before I can, like you know, do the uh, crane move and and be able to do anything. I don't know if that made sense, but um, but anyway, I'm I'm uh, feeling a little bit behind here in my in my bike prep because I ordered my tires from Japan for my bike. Um, so anyway, things are going okay, but, um, it's just, it's too cold. So, Hey Bob. Hey buddy. Appreciate you. See you over at uh, Terrence pops, uh, channel lots. So, um, so let me go back and do a catch up here and then and tell you what I am going to talk about today. And then also, um, I have a interview Thursday with our, um, area newspaper and they're going to interview me at the library where I'm donating two books. So I picked out the two books tonight, two hard copies that I'm donating. And then I will exercise them. You know, I will break them in. <laughs> so where you pull, you know, one hardcover down and the other, then you kind of take 20 pages in, 20 pages and fan it out. And then I will inscribe both of those uh, differently and use my signature stamp here uh, for my my book and get those all ready for, uh, Thursday morning, which, uh, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's good public relations. It's good for the library. It's good for the community. It's good for me. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so let's go back to the chat here and best intro. I like my intro. I'm going to go in and do, do an update to it very soon. I have several, um, kind of pictures of me that you know, just kind of, uh, still shots in front of the camera that I usually don't take for this show, but I take it when I teach my university course, which I'm teaching right now. And I post it in somebody's chat from my, my regular uh, YouTube channel, which has like 70 subscribers or something. But um, that's where I park my university lectures. And so like people subscribed into there and like, okay, like this is cool. Like you can, you can see my university lectures, but this is just – Uh, it's an academic site, right? I'm not, I'm not doing podcasts from this site. So if you want to find a lecture that I did for superintendent legal issues, it's probably in there. So, um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, So I've, yeah, I have some big things coming up here. I am, uh, so obviously we have the, the release here of the velocity of information. So for those of you that aren't aware, this is my second book. Um, this is the truth book about uh what um the, the year 2020 right it's the unpacking of um were you essential non-essential inessential what does this mean going forward so it comes in hardback comes in paperback uh, ebook I am also uh, releasing the audiobook that's professionally recorded that will release in April of 2023 the audiobook but uh but yeah so this book is is out there so it's been selling. Now already, even though they say April first is when it releases, I can see that it's it's selling before that. So I'm not sure, but so I have uh, my first stack of hard copies here. This, these look phenomenal, by the way. Like this is such a vibrant color; it goes over to the um to the spine. I mean, this is this is an awesome book, 208 pages, which I boiled and boiled and boiled down, like making maple syrup, right? Like in Wisconsin here, I boiled this thing down. So when you get it. You're not going to have to go through a lot of verbose stories and building up. There's a lot of interviews. There's 10 interviews in this book for 108 pages, but I I condensed things down. I really, it's a, it's going to be a brisk pace. You're going to enjoy reading it. So the philosophy of information and I'm thrilled. Um, I'm thrilled to have it out there. Um, So yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Palindrome week for the days. Uh, a few weeks back, every day is a palindrome. Wow, Vanessa has deep thought for tonight. And it's our good friend, yes, John Steele from Seattle, Washington, was a guest on the show. You can find him. If you go back at Safety PhD and do a search, you'll find Escaping Seattle with John Steele. So, John, yes, this book informed by uh, a good discussion that John and I had about extended periods of chaos. So, that. His fingerprints are in the uh, works of uh, the Vost of information. Curves enjoy munching plastics. Yeah. Uh, I still have the original like blueprints I drew out when we moved here 20 years ago on the landscaping I was going to do, which I did do with relatives uh, to push out a six foot stone barrier with, you know, different decorative bushes and stuff. I mean, we have very kind of cool landscaping. But now um, I'm having that replaced, the, the plastic, the industrial kind of plastic that goes around to keep the stones in, with concrete curbing. So I had a company come last fall, and they quoted me, and they said, we don't know if we'll be able to get it done in fall or not. They weren't able to get it done in fall. They called me about a week ago, and they said, we will honor our quote for you to do this concrete curbing. But if you were to do it today, it would be 60% more with inflation. So they'll honor the original quote. So I'm like, yeah, when well, you guys can get it in. I also have like a big concrete pad on the side of my garage, which I'm replacing. It's cracked very bad. That was like an add-on to the house before we got here. And then I'm going to have it pushed out further. So I could park a vehicle over there if I ever need it to. Um but, yeah, so, anyway, if that makes any sense. So, critters enjoy munching plastics, absolutely. All Pro Lebenton, welcome. But, you know, that bike image just makes me think it is not long. Within a month, I will be out biking, and I love biking. I, the only thing I have to change this year is, like, you know, beef jerky. I, I would consume beef jerky every time I biked. It's just it's too expensive. Not that I can't afford it, I guess, but I just don't. I don't want to give the satisfaction to the beef jerky companies. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I have a friend who, who lives in an area where there's a major beef jerky company and he's like, come up here and I'll set you up with like a huge you know, sack of like, you know, extras from their stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll take you up on that. But um, so I don't know. I have to come up with a different way to get protein while I'm biking. So it might be tuna packets, you know, which I've done before and stuff like that. But um, I'm just not going to spend like $10 on beef jerky when I'm out biking. I don't know. There's just psychologically, it just doesn't, it doesn't square with me. So, um, Vanessa said, Hey, we had worked through 30 plus cords per year growing up. Yeah. That's a lot of cords. <laughs> that's yeah. And so what I do too, is like, I haul all of the firewood from my garage into my basement. So at a sack at a time, and then I stack it and then I work. And it's so, pokes Bob. Yes, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. appreciate you. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. This channel had this amazing subscription, like, you know, just like straight up to like seventeen hundred, and then it just stayed there. <laughs> so, I don't know what's up. <clears throat> yeah, I feel fine. My voice—it's just because I've been narrating a lot. And when I narrate, I record a video, record my narration, and I watch myself. Then after that. And what I've been narrating now for like upcoming chapters, I really feel comfortable with. There's a lot of work to go into developing a manuscript for narration. People don't think about that, but you have to make sure you know like how to pronounce somebody's last name and things that you're going to eliminate, right? You're going to not say abbreviations and stuff like that. And um, how your pace is going to, and, and you have to think about the tone you're going to take when you narrate. So I think of myself believe it or not, as Macaulay Calkin <laughs> or, you know, as what, what did he play? What was, was Kevin, right? And um, Home Alone. I kind of try to take that prosody in how I present um, or a little bit of Tucker Carlson, but not with the gotcha type. It's more probably like a, of a Kevin from Home Alone. So I practice that and I think I've got it pretty good. So it's consistent throughout the book. And so I'm, I'm I aim for April or not April August first launch of that book, but it'll likely come out before then. And a PDF document, you know, that will be a companion. But I think I'll have it out by July first, so that's exciting. I'll be in Findaway Voices and libraries, stuff like in my own voice, right? School of Airs, again, Velocity of information is being professionally narrated. I picked the narrator for that. Um, I might have shared in a previous show, but. That was a cool process. You know, many people gave uh, inter- uh, narration trials. So you get to listen to 10 minutes of them narrating your book. You get to pick up people. And so I'm excited for a very prominent actor to be narrating my book. And especially with 10 interviews, like I couldn't pull that off. I couldn't do School of Airs because I wrote it and it's really first person. And I don't go into like these multiple interviews. Um, so that's going to be fun for people to listen to. Um, where school of heirs, I needed to bring in the talent and that is awesome. I can't share who that person is yet until we're completely done. It's a contract stipulation. <laughs> so yes, but, uh, I'm excited. Pokes Bob, what do you do with all the ash? I spread it on my yard and my gardens. So completely keep all of it but in winter i store it in the back so at the end of my property i just like mound it up (laughs) so it looks like this little volcano at the end of my property which is like 100 feet back from my house so you know but the neighborhood kids then there's a sledding hill in back of that that the neighborhood kids all go to so i have to make sure like the the ash pile isn't anywhere where kids would be kind of like trying to work their way through to the sledding hill um so actually, like I made a little trail this year for the kids to make it easier. Like I cleared out, there's, there's brush at the end of our property. And then if you go through that, you get to sliding hills. So I, I spent some time with saw, you know, my saws and, and made a definite path, which everybody used. So I feel good about it. Like it goes right through the end of our yard, again, a hundred feet back. And like last week, there were a lot of kids out there. We had a snow day, like six inches of snow uh, for it is. Yeah, so I spread it spread it around. Do it with a, just a rake in my yard. Then eggshells, yeah, good stuff. There's a lot of stuff you can use that people just throw out, right, for fertilizer. I live on a hill, very sandy soil. Not very, it's just sand. <laughs> I mean, if you just dig down, it's just sand. That's all it is. Um, so it's great because I never had water in my basement because of a rainstorm. One one year, I think we had like eight inches of rain in a day here. And uh, it, because I'm on a hill and it's sandy soil, I you know never had water in the basement. But um, but yeah, Vanessa, saying I've been quoting you, uh, your School of Errors lately. So thank you, Vanessa. School of Errors. Let me bring this out here. Is the most honest book ever written about the three billion dollar school safety industry. Here it is. Um, yeah, this is an awesome book. And as I narrate it, I kind of forget about some of the, the things that I talked about in this book, like the rescue of 500,000 people in nine hours from lower Manhattan. How did that happen? Um, so it's all in this book. This is my first book. It's exceptional. And yeah, I mean, if you're a parent, if you're a taxpayer, if you're someone just interested in how like you know public institutions such as schools make safety decisions, get this. The chapter on social contract about Hobbes Leviathan is also extremely valuable. So there's so much in this book. Um, And thank you, Vanessa, for writing a review and posting it to Amazon. I greatly appreciate that. I saw as of today we have 48 reviews on Amazon, and that is awesome. I am uh, optimistic that we'll get 50 reviews by April 1st, which is the date that the Velocity of Information releases. So we're just two away. But, yeah. This is a cool book, and I I love reading it because um, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about school and community safety, and this is just a very well-written, insightful book, so I have fun narrating it. So here it is, School of Heirs. And it's funny because I went on Amazon, it says something like this, to start the week, it said, only 12 copies remaining, order now, and then, like, by the end of the week, only 18 copies remaining, order now. I'm like, I don't know where all these copies are coming from, but. Anyway, it's a, it's a terrific book, so that's yeah, a cool thing. Um, Books, Bob. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Vanessa, hi, everyone. I'm behind here. Uh, replacing my bike cables to stainless steel cables this year. Good job on the recumbent. Yeah, I'd like, I'll probably get to a recumbent bike once I get a little bit older. So I have my, my work meal bike right now, which is a rebuilt Trek 7.4. I mean, it's only, there's very little that's original on the bike. I've had it rebuilt several times. I, have, uh, I had rims built for it, which are hand-pulled rims, um, you know, so it is it is meant for travel. It's not meant for speed, but I want it that way. It's a tour bike, and when I'm out, um, it needs to do what it needs to do for a 100 miles, meaning it needs to uh, be able to carry cargo. Which is, you know, re- be reliable um, and sturdy. So yeah, all of that comes to play. But I, I love my bike. I absolutely do, and can't wait to get out biking again. This year. I have nothing big. I have to put new tires on. I have nothing big that I have to replace this year. You know, all my cables, chain, everything else is good. Our rims are good. Um, but yeah, so when I bike, and which will be soon, I start up i'll do 40 miles and 60 and then 80 then i'll just do 100 100 mile ride starts early in the morning i eat oatmeal i will do like a massive amount of oatmeal and uh you know infuse it with um, you know uh, dried cranberries and stuff like that and but oatmeal um, is absolutely terrific to eat before you bike. And then I do black coffee also, just as a jolt. But, you know, oatmeal is phenomenal if you're biking. It just kind of levels your glucose levels as you're biking. and You don't get, like, where you feel tired in the first hour or two. You know, once I'm out biking, because, you know, like a uh, 100 miles will take me, I don't know, maybe 9, 10 hours. But that's what stops, you know, so... Um, so I don't get physically tired. I don't get physically tired once I bike. Um, after two hours, I'm fine. It's the first two hours you kind of get physically tired. You have to mentally kind of work through like, why am I out here? I hate this. What am I doing? This is crazy. Um, once you get beyond that, like, uh, it's, it's all good. So, and then I have like a, an MP3 player, which is an old Samsung S5. And I load up a uh, podcast. I listen to podcasts. I have this, uh, indoor outdoor speaker that we, I bought a couple of years ago and I put it in the back of my bikes so on a windy day. It doesn't work, but on a like non windy day, it works fine. I can listen to a uh, podcast for like three, four hours before it, that battery kind of gives out. Um, so that's what I'll do on my way back. Um, so, but anyway, like I love bike, you know, I love biking it sucks because I'm in Wisconsin. So between, November and April, you can't bike. I mean, you can if you're crazy, right? But I mean, if you have a tour bike like I do, you just can't. There's too, right. There's no ice in the roads, and I'm not going to bike when it's cold. I don't like that. <laughs> so, you know, if it's if it's 90 degrees, like yeah, that's a hundred mile day for me. So, um, man, I'm I've been. I need to ask. What is that blue circle on the wall? That blue circle is a record. That was, uh, it's just a a record, an old 33 RPM record that my daughter painted blue when she was in art class and gave it to me. <laughs> so I put it up on the wall. So it's, it's a record. Um, so yeah, hey, it's uh, Shinobi Juan, yo, 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 plus shield. Thanks, buddy. Hey, Juan, brother pokes Bob and uh, Phil Henry. This shows better quality, most university lectures, society ideas. Thank you, Phil. Um, I appreciate that. And actually, I, I appreciate that definitely. And coming back to this book is out there now. Now, I know it's seventy five dollars in hard copy, which is ridiculous, right? Like unless you're <laughs> really trying to impress somebody, you're not gonna buy hard copy. It's thirty that they put it at seventy five because this book will, sell and very well to libraries, right? This is School of Errors is in hundreds of libraries across the world. Velocity of information will be in hundreds of libraries. So the publisher does that and universities and so forth. Um, but for $35, you can get this in paperback, which is also a great value $33 for ebook next year, it'll come out in audio book. I don't know what the price of that will be. This is a phenomenal book though. And I had custom graphics made for this book there's nothing like this out there um and actually you know th- this is right on right on the cusp of do you ban this book or not because of questioning essential versus non-essential I mean this is as edgy as you'll get in your Amazon cart so um you will not be disappointed in buying this book absolutely won't I spent three. Thousand hours. That's no lie. Putting this book together, 471 endnotes, but they're all Chicago style at the end. So you're not like interrupted as you're reading it. I interview people who don't give interviews. Linda Stone, former Microsoft vice president, doesn't give interviews, gave an interview to me. So you're going to find stuff in here that you've found nowhere else. And especially right now, as we potentially enter an additional chaos event whether that be war or inflation or whatever this book is the um set of 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 special op glasses as you look through you're like oh my goodness I, i see things now so you'll like it and you'll love the stories you'll love the interviews in this book um anyway i'm thrilled about it and you can order it right now on amazon it releases april 1st i think they're shipping them early so, um, I've, I've seen the numbers and things, but anyway, like get it now. So yes, this is our good friend, Phil Henry, right? So thanks Phil. And, uh, so I have some big new, some big news also at the university that I teach for, I've taught for, for 18 years. Um, and I can't, well, I have big news, right? That I can't release. I can't give that out. Yet, but I might have uh, some, some substantial positive news coming out from the university that I teach for it's a private university along the Wisconsin River and it's amazing actually to uh, teach there it's a building that still has the uh, chalk boards from a hundred years ago so when you teach there you are assigned special chalk as an instructor so when you you, you go up in front and on these slate boards that are a hundred, or 120 years old, you're using this very special chalk on these slate boards. It's pretty incredible. Um, but anyway, Hey, I saw Joe Dolio gave your new book. He did. I appreciate that. Yeah. Joe and Joe Dolio. If you do a, Hey bacon, by the way, um, if you do a word cloud for the book, which Google did, Joe Dolio shows up as a larger image on the, the word cloud. He's represented in literally like 20% of the book with yeah, and that's proper because uh, Joe is a a brilliant, perceptive person. So you know, J- Joe Dolio, um, like you know how to identify indicators. So Joe Dolio, Joe Dolio is an early chapter. So yeah, I appreciate that. And likewise, going back to Joe Dolio's uh, tactical wisdom series, which he started a year ago, that book series has done extremely well. Continues to um, amplify as he releases new books. So the tactical series. Um, from Joe Dolio, is uh, is is doing very well. Rightfully so. And so, yeah, that's the part. Like, you read this book, and you're like, "Hey, like, I get to know Joe Dolio. I get to know Clay Martin. I get to know Larry Lawton, Linda Stone, Morgan Rogue, Juan Brown." From reading this book, there's nothing out there like it. 471 endnotes. I mean, so when you read this and you go forward. You know someone could if they challenge it right can say it's it's fully cited right doc has this stuff down this is just such an awesome book it starts out with these the essential versus non-essential carl the barber in Oss- ossawa um, michigan and something weird is like I've talked to people and as you know, we start to talk about the book because I have an interview coming up Thursday, you know, with made, uh, major local kind of media and then other media sources. And and people do not remember that in March of 2020, we all woke to be deemed essential or non-essential. I have been flabbergasted at the number of people who've told me, oh, yeah, I re- now that you mentioned it, I remember it, but I didn't remember. I wasn't kind of thinking about it or I didn't remember it prior to you mentioning how did you not remember being that you're declared essential or non-essential and your career choice is basically essential or non-essential and you know what you do in the future and i mean all this stuff i mean it it's so weird that people forget about these things so i'm i'm so glad that i document them in vivo i wrote this book starting in march of 2020 and i was writing about it as the pandemic was happening, obviously, and um, so, you know, the book is not a reflective, it's an in vivo, it's while it was happening, and people just forget about these things, which is crazy, so I think the book does a good job of archiving or doing this thing of of uh, identifying the sequence of events which people kind of blend together right now, so anyway, it's called Providence, Providence is the correct term, I'll try to type it here, my, my uh, microphone in front of me, Providence. What happened first and then the sequence. But it's an awesome book. You'll love it. You absolutely love it. So let me catch up here. Joe Dolio, see if and Claire, these books are arranged for strange. They were. So um, Joe Dolio. Yeah. And check out like Clay Martin. Obviously, if you're add to that, Phil, Clay Martin, um, Concrete Jungle, Prairie Fire, Safe Doc, Aaron Clary. So, yeah, Aaron Clary is a good friend of mine. Joe Doley, a good friend of mine. So, yeah, I think all perspectives of things that we saw um, unfolding in front of us that other people didn't necessarily see. And so we were writing about them and doing the deep research on them. Aaron Clary, 2008, I believe he released the book Behind the Housing Crash, right before the housing crash happened and the stock market almost imploded including, you know, American economy and worldwide economy, Joe Dolio, who um, is adeptly looking at the incremental steps that lead to chaos in society as someone who was a former Marine and, you know, martial, current martial artists and things like that. But to bring that in like a, an analysis perspective. So, yeah, I I'd like to say this constellation of books Braxton McCoy, Mar, um uh Sibley, you know, with his Mongol Moon and, you know, can bring in a few others, but we have this constellation of books and you know, it's not like the Mike Cernovich or Stephen Mallon not, not, not kind of that or so or Mike Rowe. It's it's at this different level that we we have this this frequency, right, that we're at and I think we've we've got it right. So if you're tuning into that right now, into these types of books and these types of authors, you're getting informed with authentic, um, verified information. So uh Vanessa saying I'll donate your latest book to I appreciate that, Vanessa. I am donating uh two of my books, which I have over to my right. I picked them out tonight out of my stack, and uh I will in, I will inscribe them. And uh, Thursday morning, I am interviewing them. The media will be there, and I'm, I am—I am not—I am donating them to my local library. I am inscribing them tomorrow, and uh, yeah. So I do donate a substantial amount of books. Actually, um, believe it or not, I do donate about one thousand dollars worth of books. Um, so yeah, which sounds kind of crazy, but. I do it because you know the work is important. It's important for people to be informed. And I'm committed to it. So yeah, I, I <laughs> there will be a thousand dollars of uh, velocity of information that will be donated. Um so yeah. <laughs> believe it or not, yes, believe it or not. Bacon, I apologize for yelling at your guests, which is coming. Oh, I don't know. So um a memo was written in 1883 for the command in Alaska concerning three threats from rats and mice on c5 aircraft coming into Alaska so this is from Shinabi wan brother of the bacon I like honey stinger snacks I pour honey in my oatmeal by the way big um, oatmeal guy it slows down your metabolism of not your metabolism your your process it stays in your in your gut longer in your system keeps your glucose levels stabilized. Inbound C5 informed calm command that they saw a rat on board. Yikes. Any tips on dealing with food inflation? I don't don't have tips, John. Now I wrote in, I'm a, well, I like protein from peanuts. (laughs) Not everybody does, but I love, I will eat a jar of peanuts in two days. I love peanuts. So peanuts, have a lot of protein, uh, walnuts, you know, kind of their Friday, but, um, and they're reasonable. Right. Um, but I wrote in my book, the velocity of information that 3d printing uh, and, and so I don't want people to misinterpret this. I, I maybe should have identified this a little bit differently in my book, but we are coming to a point where you're. Fast food restaurants are going to 3D print half the food that you order. It's just the reality. The white papers are out there. This is happening in in other countries beyond the U.S. already. Um, Not that that's a bad thing necessarily, right? But you will have 3D printed meals, whether it be restaurants, fast food restaurants, if you call, call them that, or like, you know, more formal restaurants that will take in your I don't know, allergy or your intake profile or you can't have MSG or whatever it is. But 3D printing of meals will become more commonplace. So I wrote about that in the book, white papers from General Electric and so forth. Um, now, with that said, it's not that I'm endorsing that or I'm championing that. I just wrote it objectively in the book of saying this is happening. And I, I going back as I read through this, I'm like, I'm not endorsing this or... Uh, you know, whatever of saying, like, you should have a 3D printed steak versus a steak. I'm just saying this is where things are going. Um, and I think part of that is labor induced, right? Because if you can have machines that can print food, you don't have to have employees there to warm up food or mix together or, or authentically, eat at a high end restaurant, make food. So, um, and again, I think we're, we are much further along on this conversion to a 3D printed environment than what we want to acknowledge, meaning that we have all of these supply shortages, right? Like those are definitely happening. We can see those when we shop. I saw them today when I was out shopping. Um, part of those are, con- you know, attributed though to the transition right now from a warehouse warehouse we went to warehouse to just in time we went from just in time to 3d printing we're so we're in this phase of moving to 3d printing if you if you are a major company right if you're a 3m or you know whatever the future is 3m uh, for for 3m is or general electric and so forth is 3d printing it's not just in time manufacturing so we are also caught in this weird phase right now where companies are are seriously thinking, well, yeah, supply chain, we could improve our just-in-time production, but in 10 years, we're going to be mostly 3D, meaning we're going to be doing it regional sites or very local sites or people just be getting, they'll subscribe to us and they'll de- be 3D printing 50% of their shopping list from their home 3D printer. So, we're in this phase and nobody has really recognized that I wrote about it in the velocity of information, but part of the reason the supply chain stuff isn't rapidly improving is that if you are a major manufacturer, you're looking at this saying, well, we're headed toward 3d printing. So why not put more money into that than fixing the just in time manufacturing? Um, so we've got that going on, but yeah. Um, so 3D printing is here, folks. Bob, it's all right. He kind of had it coming, hopefully. Wow, I don't know. Vacuum sealed separate O2 packs. Yes, this memo was put out with the amount of panic emergency calls in the radio. Myself as an inspector. Yikes. Um, evening. Do- hey, Cameron Santris. Hey, buddy. Welcome. Can't cock the tuck. Andrew, I guess you're right on that. Rat can chew through three coatings causing major damage to aircraft, aircraft, Can get back bubonic plague yeah i don't think we have right rats around here um we have very aggressive squirrels (laughs) although like they're playful and i've i mean outside of them chewing up the plastic edging on our yard like they really haven't been a nuisance um so i i consider them more entertainment but yeah um i don't think it's a rat i haven't really seen that type of stuff plus we have a we have enough like you know, we have wild cranes that walk through the yard and gophers and hedgehogs and stuff. Excuse me. I think the rats would be taken care of. Plus, like we have a 30 we we have a hundred feet between our property and this woods, which is just grass. So obviously, like if you're a rat, you're not gonna do very well out there. The the birds, the hawks and whatever will take care of you. But uh but yeah. John Steele saying or john steele right here smash a like button yeah so let's go in here and let's do this god i don't know if the controls change or what else hell's going on here please subscribe and smash that like button subscribe and a thumbs up for doc i appreciate it we're doing fine with uh subscribers but we still need more watch hours. So if you have multiple devices and you want to just listen to the doc, hey, a couple of weeks ago we had on Josh the locksmith, we had uh, intriguing interview with Lee Jarvis about uh, box theories. So give those a thumbs up. John Steele was a guest on the show, so appreciate that very much. Um, pay local farmers to raise some animals for you. I do, I makes sense. Yeah, we have a lot of local farms. We live fifteen miles away from a large Amish settlement. Um, they made most of the furniture in my house, so um, that is also. They have a dry goods store, like a it's big, um, but it's all you have to go there during the day because it's natural light through this ceiling translucent tiles. So if you buy in bulk, you can get great deals. They only accept uh, cash. So great book, doc. Everyone should buy. An, yeah, this is da da This is the book finesse is talking about. Also, for those of you, I know it's I mean $35. I know I'm asking you to do a, a lot to go on right now, especially in these crazy times of inflation, and to buy this in paperback for $35. But this book, for I mean, think of what you spend on a meal if you go out or something. But this book and the time that I put into this, the research and how curated this is and i worked with multiple editors Like mean, we got this down to 208 pages like it is boiled it is the maple syrup so as you read velocity of information you'll be like this is the best maple syrup i ever had it is it's it's outstanding and it's going to help you to identify um, the very intricate propaganda that's happening right now and also to watch Uh, and observe people around you as they hit finite voltage and kind of steer them away from that and toward resilience and anything you might be experiencing. It is, And just the stories. It's a phenomenal book. Um, And then, yeah. So I promise to be the 69th interview review. I will hold you to that, Andrew. So I appreciate all of the uh, reviews. So um, I'm hoping to hit that 50 mark by April 1st. So, which is weird that my publisher has moved up the release date to April 1st, <laughs> so which is a Friday, it's April Fool's Day, it, from April 11th, which is like 4-11th is a truth number for angels or whatever. But anyway, it's it's good for me to have it out sooner uh, for many reasons, but I don't know. Um, uh, so chicken, tuna, cookies, bacon. I don't know what's going on there. It's heavy water. Good buddy, heavy water. Um, This is Vanessa saying, a copy shall be presented at our Board of Education soon, too, especially at their fiasco early and changing by loss. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to hear that. So um, this book, this book keeps coming back, right? This is my first copy ever of this book, by the way. But um, school boards, people who are on school boards email me and they'll say, I got your book. And I've shared it with other school boards members and I've uh, it's used as an easement into these very tough discussions about school safety. And the discussions usually are tough because it's like we could spend $300,000 on bollards and window films, or we could spend it on, you know, improving instruction. But, um, and so this book has taken on its role and people get behind it and, you know, buy it or, or the boards buy it for the rest of the board members and they go through and do a case study on it or whatever, but book review, um, so yeah, this this has been instrumental, I think, in setting the tone for some school boards. So I love that it does that. Absolutely love that it does that. So yeah, one of my one of my biggest um, kind of fun times is when I open up my email in the morning, and usually one of two things happens. Uh, one is somebody will or or people will email me and say, "Hey, like your your PBS presentation." was aired last night in Jacksonville or in New York city or whatever. And we, you know, I saw it, here's where I live and I want to thank you or, and here's like a couple of questions I have or some like resources or whatever. But, um, so that's cool because PBS keeps scheduling my 2019 into my 2019 PBS presentation into contemporary programming. Well, it's kind of done locally by the PBSs, I guess is how it works. It gets syndicated out, but, I never know like I, I get up in the morning and people will i'll see an email and say hey it was like in little rock arkansas or something like that but i'm like great and it's funny in my hometown not my hometown but the town i live in here for 20 years i go places i went to a small engines place and the lady behind the counter she looked at me and said you're the guy on tv aren't you i'm like well yeah what are you talking about like she said you talk about like safety stuff and things like that. I said, Yeah, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm that guy. So oh my god, like wow, you're the guy. So all right. Um, anyway, I'm the guy. Um, but yeah, it is um let's go back here. So uh Heath is here. Hey Heath, thanks, buddy. Ten accounts, keep them going. If I can ever get monetized, that would be like a celebration here by cooling the gang. Heavy bar beats eating your dog. Yikes. Uh, Nature printed mousetrap. Yikes. BB luminous. Maple syrup season now. Yeah. It's happening here too. So the uh, public, um, the city issues tapping permits for certain maple trees. I don't know how that works. I've seen it a little bit. But I have friends who like this is, you know, they this is big for them. They really get into maple syrup season, which is cool you know, Wisconsin. So, um, I'm able to syrup tonight. We had pancakes for supper. He said bollards. Everyone take a shot. And I have like, yeah, bollards. That's a, you know, I used to pronounce bollards incorrectly. Apparently bollards is what I said. <laughs> and, um, somebody, you know, said they're actually bollards back And You might want to change it. So I did change it. after. That. It's our good friend flying rich. You, uh, Usually it's out on the beach about this time, Flying Rich. Hey, yo, yo, yo. When I'm Flying Rich back on the show, Flying Rich and I did a show. You can find it in safetyphd.com about how 3D printers can benefit disaster environments if you brought in 3D printers. What might you be able to do, such as printing geodesic domes for either shelter or storage of emergency assets. But I want to get Rich's opinion on, I think we're in this, this in. Uh, this in-between phase of a transition uh, out of um, just-in-time manufacturing to 3D printing. And I'm more and more convinced by the day that that is what's happening. So when we hear over and over again that the supply chain is broken and all this stuff, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of accurate. Like we're experiencing that. That's authentic. But we are also moving to 3D printed. That's a 3D printed environment, whether it be home or whether it would, Be you go to your local Napa auto parts or something. You're like, I I need a fuel pump. And instead of going to the back and they bring one out for you in a box, they enter your VIN number. And in five minutes, you've got a new fuel pump printed for you. Right. So I think we're more toward the 3D printing. And that is the reason why people are perceiving that things are kind of languishing. I just think it's transitioning. It's a disruptive phase right now. Um, So I do think this will get better. Um, so let's go back here. 3d printed, uh, compounds can make very efficient rocket and missile motors. Wow. I know they can print, um, they've printed metal engines already. So that's new. All right. So we are on, we are only, uh, 54 minutes into the show and I will get to our topic, (laughs) but no, I, I really appreciate all of you in the chat um certainly do so and again if you have a good uh flexible uh hose a garden hose to recommend please put it down in the chat because i bought a swan hose to replace one that was consumed by squirrels not nearly the quality it's kind of disappointing so um yeah all right so on uh page 144 here of the velocity of information this book right here so I'm going to check after the show and see if anybody has ordered this yeah, off of Amazon. I'd appreciate it, by the way, in paperback. Yeah, I know it's like $33, $35, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, I don't set the price, by the way. The publisher does. Um, I'm going to read read a, a subset of a chapter. But there's something here called comorbid, comorbid chaos. It's a term I came up with. One of the things I did in the philosophy of information is I identified four distinct, I don't know if they're phases, because they're not necessarily incremental. These can happen independent of each other, but there are four, I guess, let's say phases of chaos. Usually when you study chaos as a chaos theorist, which I guess I am, um, it's either, it's binary. You either are in a state of chaos or you're not. Okay. And, I, I looked at that and I said, that's not exactly accurate though. I don't I don't think that's true. I think there are definite phases of chaos. So I identified four phases of chaos. I had peer reviewers and you know everyone's like, this makes sense. So it's kind of new and groundbreaking in the velocity of information which you should order right now off of Amazon. So when I go in there later and I check, it's like, hey, some people order this. It's hard copy. Well, don't order the hard copy. Don't spend $75 on a hard copy. Get that paper back. Tell your library, though. I'm telling you, this works. You know, email your local library. Say, I live in this community. And this book is necessary for our library to inform our our patrons of how to interpret and build resilience to chaotic times. And your library will usually say, and people have told me this. I know this from the library industry. They'll say, yeah, like if our community members approach us and say, this is a book you should have, we will buy it. We'll put it in our library, you know, so um, do that. Help out Doc. So this chapter is called Comorbid Chaos, in Dur- uh, Intermediate Duration or Uncertainty. So let me just bring it up here so you can kind of see what I'm doing. So, by the way, I have the best hose. Yeah, if you can, I'd like to do that because this one I bought, Um, I don't know if uh, I think just put it in a rummy towel, just throw it out. (laughs) So, I'm just so disappointed with this thing. Although, like I said, the new LED lighting I installed is absolutely awesome. Uh, so let me let me show you what I'm going to be reading from. So, this is the PDF of School of Airs right here. So, there it is. Um, and there it is. So yeah, so this is the PDF of the book. I'm gonna be reading through this um, right now. So let me make this a little bigger as I read through it so you kind of get an idea. No, I don't wanna make it 400%. Geez, I don't wanna make it 22,000%. Yes. 250, there we go, so you can see it. Okay, yeah, let's do a little bigger. Okay. So this is on page um, 144 of my book. I'm going to read Comorbid Chaos, Indeterminate Duration, Uncertainty. So before I get into this, let me me talk about this. So there's different chaos events short-term. There's intermediate chaos. There's extended chaos. And there's comorbid chaos. Comorbid chaos is very, very rare. That's when you have 90 days of a chaos event and then also, in addition, other chaos events are happening at the same time. This is very rare. Again, like we saw it in the 1930s with uh, you know Great Depression and then economics and also the Dust Bowl, like, you know, southern U.S. But um, to have coal morbid or two chaos events that happen for 90 days or longer is very rare at a national or, or international level. We now, we now, in the last two years, have had two of these, which is unprecedented. So the two of these would be the pandemic and civil unrest, 2000 to 2022. 2022, we had inflation, kind of plus pandemic still hanging around there, plus war, right? Coal morbid national events lasting, international events lasting for more than 90 days, this is important to recognize because when you're in comorbid chaos, which I'm going to talk about right now, people will not um, start new businesses during comorbid. You're not going to see small businesses. You're not going to see down in, in your town like those retail spots, you know, of 1,200 square foot. You're not going to see anybody doing those. You're not going to be seeing people uh, take on advanced degrees, add on to their houses, stuff like this during comorbid chaos. This is a time when people are really like kind of collecting what they have and keeping things close, trying to ride out the storm. So let me, I think if I'm just trying to make this so it's easy for you to read as I narrate. So you remove, let me bring back. Okay, here we go. I'm going to narrate this. So um, comorbid chaos, this again is in my book, page 144. Comorbid chaos, intermediate duration, uncertainty. All right. The fourth state of chaos includes qualities of extended and international chaos events with the addition of one or more secondary population level chaos events that are intermediate and regional or extended and international. The secondary event happens concurrently with some of the entire primary event. So you have one chaos event happening and then there's a secondary chaos event that happens during that time. And that might not hang around throughout all of that. It might just kind of pop up, but let's keep going here. So here we go. In addition, chaos at this level, oscillates in intensity. For example, there may be civil unrest affected by weather patterns. Example: protests taper off on rainy days. Populations exhibit a lack of trust in government and authority. This is corresponding. Uh, this is a corresponding loss of credibility by those in authority due to changing narratives. Examples of comorbid chaos involve the ninth involved the Great Depression from 1929 to 1939, confounded by the 1931 through 1939 Great Plains Dust Bowl and the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic in conjunction with racial justice protests. The Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world, lasting from 1929 to 1939. In 1932, many politicians, businessmen, and journalists starting to contemplate the possibility of a massive revolution in the United States. In fact, thousands of the most desperate unemployed workers began raiding food stores. At the store, the price of a chicken fell from 38 cents a pound to 12 cents. The price of eggs dropped from 50 cents a dozen to just over 13 cents. And the price of gasoline fell from 10 cents to less than a nickel. Wow. Wouldn't mind that today. Still, many... Families went hungry and few could afford to own a car. By 1933, when the Great Depression reached its lowest point, some 15 million Americans were unemployed and nearly half the country's banks had failed. Imagine if we had that today, half of your banks failed. Wow. Economic stability gradually returned in 1939, due in part to government New Deal projects that reformed financial systems and put people back to work. Many people who lived through the era Distr- uh, Distrusted banks and would no longer buy goods using credit. But before the economic improvement, the Dust Bowl intensified the crushing economic impacts of the Great Depression. In 1931, severe drought hit the Midwestern and South or, or Southern Plains of the United States as crops died, crumbling topsoil from overplowed and overgrazed land. Led to powerful dust storms that pummeled the region. Residents crawled to safety in the dust, which was in summer dust storms and snust, winter storm snust. Many towns were abandoned. Hundreds of people, this is in the United States, hundreds of people succumbed to what doctors at the time called dust pneumonia, a respiratory illness caused by tiny inorganic particles in the windblown dust. Famine gripped the Region as it was impossible to sustain livestock. Cattle went blind and suffocated. When farmers cut them open, they found stomachs stuffed with fine sand. In the fall of 1935, uh, in the fall of 1939, rain finally returned in significant amounts to many areas of the Great Plains, signaling the end of the dust bowl. The positive weather change coincided with economic recovery, stimulated by the New Deal, to bring relief to millions of Americans. So And then I get into another comorbid event, which was the pandemic of 2020 and then also civil unrest. So, but that is in the book. So to have comorbid um, crisis events at an international level is really rare. And actually from World War II up until the pandemic, like we hadn't had one. It doesn't mean that things hadn't happened. Like I write in here, you know, Europe in 2003 had a sweltering summer where, you know, thousands of people died and so forth. But, um, to have these worldwide comorbid comorbid just means at the same time, but not necessarily related. So they're not causal. Um, they're just happening at the same time. Like the pandemic wasn't causing the social justice riots. Um, and right now, um, the in inflation and war war are 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 not connected as being relational, right? Like war hasn't caused inflation. It's exacerbated inflation, but inflation was there before Ukraine and Russia. Um so this this is incredible because it means in the time span of, of two years, we have now encountered comorbid world chaos events. Um and that's that's just un Unusual, right? I mean, in our modern times, our modern thinking, we'd have to go back to 1930 for the last comorbid events. And now we have back-to-back 2000 to 2022 or 2023, however this will last, right? Inflation, economic strife, war. Um, so basically, you know, if you from 2000 to now, the last two years, we've lived in this period of comorbid chaos, which means people are staying home. They're not traveling. They're not investing in themselves for additional professional development or entrepreneur type activities. In general, in general, unwilling to to move. Um, so there are many things that, that come out in this. And again, we can see this represented in the downtowns in our cities, the vacant spaces or the strip malls where people just aren't saying I'm going to try to start something up. No one's going to try to start something up during a cold morbid cast event. So um, delays in marriage, right? Delays in birth rate have been indicated in the last, you know, two years. So um, this is, so you have to recognize it and recognize that people are demonstrating crowd in behavior or surrounding themselves with comfort items and, cocooning themselves. And that's unlikely to change anytime soon um, because people don't anticipate that, oh, in a month, it's going to be better, right? Like maybe the Ukraine conflict will be done or the war will be done. And with Russia and Ukraine and, and uh, you know, inflation will will subdue and gas prices will get back down to $2 a gallon or what I mean, like people don't believe that. So when they don't believe it, they'll stay in this crowd in, and it just slows everything down. Not only from an economy, but just like people's personal decisions on what they're going to do in life. Um, So, but yeah, that chapter was right out of the philosophy of information. So it's our good friend, Robert Ribbit Harrison. Robert, I need to schedule my vehicles for oil changes. Zero weight oil, by the way. But I don't drive much. So my, my Buick, um, I put on like 6,000 miles a year. So I'm at like 2,500 miles <laughs> in the last like six months. Uh, I'll get it in, get it serviced. Um, and we just, we don't put on a lot of miles. So our newer SUV, yeah. Uh, safe dock. Uh, it was not the new deal. This is from John Steele. It out of the depression. What did was the U.S. start to mobilize the war in 1938. In fact, people were so disappointed. Yeah, you're right. And so when I wrote about that end the Velocity of information, I wrote about it not I, I didn't signify necessarily that the New Deal was the, the propulsion event that got us out of the Great Depression. It was already the mobilizing for uh, war. But, yeah, and the New Deal, uh, they wanted a new deck, yeah. So um, as we forensically look back at that, right, the New Deal gets gets championed as this, this way to rise us out. But it was really the... The recognition that at some point, which again was 1941, right? But the U.S. would be brought into World War II. Um, and the U.S. was starting to already, you know, build up their infrastructure to that. This is our good friend, John Rice. Power just came. Power, power what kind of crazy storms? So, by the way, it's like 20 degrees here. So, like, I'm kind of uh, insulated from weather outside of being cold. So, little miles are good. Yeah. And full synthetic oil garaged vehicles you know always take care of them so yeah we get a lot of lot of years out of our vehicles but uh vanessa i've not seen it before this is an ongoing project to build up diverged uh, deeply i don't know what that is oil change drive uh april 1st it'll be warm with it you bet so yeah i'm a big fan of synthetic oil so um yes And here, like, I just need to wash my vehicles on a regular basis to keep the salt off of them, So, because they salt like crazy. (laughs) You know, you live in Wisconsin, and I have a white vehicle and a black vehicle, and a black vehicle, you know, after they salt just turns white. So you got to get that stuff off of there. Uh, I'm continuing my own version of crowd and behavior, whether things go normal or not, yeah. So crowd and behavior, which I wrote extensively about, the Danish have a version of this called Hygge. It's H-Y-G-G-E. I thought it was Hygge, but it's Hygge. Of where, you know, surround yourself with comfort items. Um, so, uh, Robert is saying, especially gas 519 for 93. Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. You know, thankfully, you know, we're not in a situation where we put on a lot of miles. Um but uh, that wasn't a few years ago, and a lot of stuff I was doing was putting a lot of miles, and that would have substantially impacted us. So, um, but yeah, this is this is crazy, crazy stuff. Homeless in America, by the way. Homeless in America. I think you uh, you subbed over to my lecture channel, <laughs> so which is a channel you don't want to sub to because it's just university lectures. Uh, this is the channel to sub to if you haven't already. So. I posted from that because I just got done uploading a lecture the other night and I switched over, 460. I was just, you know, when I was in high school, right? Gas was seventy-seven cents a gallon, seventy-seven. Because my had my uh, duster outside of a gas station. I had a picture of that. And seventy-seven cents. It was ninety cents two years ago. Ninety cents here, um, like in April for a couple of weeks. So yeah, just crazy. So. Um, so when we talk about chaos, comorbid or happening at the same time, but not necessarily causing each each other, right? So they're not related. Like one isn't necessarily causing the other, but they're happening at the same time. Um, comorbid events. It's kind of a weird term. It sounds really gruesome, but it's, you know, just what it is. Comorbid chaos. Um, two chaos events. So one has to exist ninety days or longer, and the other one kind of pops up within while that other one exists. So think about two thousand twenty; we had the pandemic into two thousand twenty-one and riots. So riots would kind of surface, and they would kind of like, you know, uh, rheostat—you turn them down for a while, and then they kind of come back, you know. Um, so you had those two things happening, two chaos events, over you know that happen over this multi-month span, at least three months. Or longer and that's very rare we don't realize how rare this is until we actually study it and when i wrote about in the last information so like, you know now it's it's it, we've had this this event and the book came out before like the current inflation right i mean i had it to publisher in last september but inflation and now the war with ukraine involving the u.s and uh you know possibly you know NATO, how they all get tied into this and u.s uh, stock markets and just other things but um but yes, now we have two back-to-back comorbid events, which it, those are heavy hitters to the to our society, to our economy. Um, those are, I mean, they're not knockout punches, but that's Rocky and Drago in like the the twelfth round. I mean, those are big punches that are coming out. So, I've noticed it here locally. You know, the the increase in vacant spaces in, you know, storefronts. And you do see this additional strain on the supply chain, which I wrote in philosophy of information. I said, you know, supply chain will, we don't really understand what's influencing that because the media is telling us it's, it's the pandemic or the pandemic becomes a low key, a low key, L-O-K-I is something that's from Norse legend. You know, your crops didn't come up this year. Oh, it's a, it's the God of chaos. It's a low key caused it. So, the pandemic has been a Loki for the media. Oh, the pandemic is causing a shortage of wheat, or the pandemic is causing a shortage, it is causing increased crime, or whatever. But so you just use it as a straw man argument. But the Loki now is saying Russia. Russia is the cause of inflation. Russia is the cause of increased gas um, prices. But this, this is, we, people do not. Um, sustain themselves very well during these extended chaos events. They cocoon, they, they start to, you know, you're going to, again, it's this whole world of of surrounding yourself with puzzles and Netflix and fast food to keep yourself comfortable and not really venturing out into the world because you don't know when it's going to be shut down. It could be shut down at any moment. You could be wake up tomorrow and all of us could be essential or non-essential again. We're not beyond that. Or, You know, on February 25th, Ready.gov changed their um, page for, you know, what to do if you are in an area where there's a nuclear bomb detonation. Well, I mean, that was pretty graphic. You know, they had all this stuff in there. So people aren't going to be this entrepreneurial spirit is kind of dead, right? I mean, you have to be a little bit crazy to do that right now or, like, really insightful and and see something other people don't. So it's a good friend. Toy Town. Hey, Toy Town. Welcome, buddy. Uh, what happened to deep fryer oil gas? Use? It was a thing. You know, Heath, it's interesting you brought that up, right? They used to show people on the news who would go from, like, fast food to fast food place, get their deep fryer, um, you know, oils and stuff, and then, like, put it into their vehicle and run their car. So six bucks a gallon. That's crazy. About to drive new uh, North Carolina next week. Hopefully it won't pay that much. Yeah. From Robert. Yeah. I mean, again, it is, you know, incrementally, it's crazy to look at uh, over 12 months or 24 months where this is where this is gone. Again, literally gas so was $0.90 cents a gallon in my city in April of 2020. Um, so, yeah, this is it's it's weird, too, because right now the like, gas futures or or oil futures are down. So oil is starting to come down, yet gas prices aren't coming down. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's affected us across the board. Yeah, I've had to look very carefully. You know, the I, I think a hidden cost that people don't recognize is your insurance, your car insurance, your house insurance, anything like that has has gone up pretty sharply here. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanessa saying, no, Russia decided to invade a sovereign nation at the same time, following inflationary pressures in the pandemic times. Yeah. So these comorbid things which are going on um, that now have a worldwide impact. Um, So the velocity of information does a stellar job of um, describing that. And it's not that you need somebody to tell you that this is happening, right? Because you're in the chat, you know, you understand this stuff, but... But I, I position it in ways that give you um, a, a, a different perspective on it and then also a way to, I think, identify how other people respond to this and then how you can coach other people to move them um, ahead of the pack and out of harm's way. I think the book is an ex- extremely valuable resource uh, for that. Um, so, this is John Steele. Does anyone here know if all the t- uh, talk about food, shortage food uh, fertilizers and their precursors to about if it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've i been a guest on um, Councils for Future Conflict. So, we know, you know, this is definitely happening. I was at a, a store today, a you know, large um, agricultural store, and yeah, fertilizers for domestic use were uh, definitely up. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not sure what the plan Plan B is, and I'm not sure that the Plan B is a is a failed option. Like, if you didn't have access in the United States to um, external fertilizer, what could you do? Um, and and so, I guess I haven't had, as John points, out, I'm not very clear on this, and I I don't anticipate this is going to be as bad is what it has been portrayed and the u.s can also start to hold back and or to put into production some lands that have been paid by the u.s government to not be in production so um i don't know i don't know how to read all of all of this um so let's go back prices of everything have increased dramatically yeah i mean i think um the latest information I have, uh, Vanessa, is it's basically, basically one month of income for every person for, that inflation has taken um, in the last year. So uh, it's cr- it's absolutely crazy uh, to, to think about that. But, yeah, one month of your income. So you've been – inflation has um, devalued your worth by, your economic worth by one twelfth or eight, you know, eight percent. So um, yeah, Finesse is saying I would predict, yeah, I, I would say also, <laughs> right? Like I think that's probably going to happen. And what is the long-term consequence of that? You know, we saw, um, you know, the the Hong Kong, you know, and, and China's, so I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's going to, uh, to be similar to Russia, Ukraine—I d- I don't know. John still remember. It? I walked through it, and even when a third of those chop goons were looking for me. So yeah, you had some crazy times. Bacon was going through there with a hammer, a roofing hammer, in his vehicle. The Great Reset. I took those people's words. So yeah, you know the thing. The thing as I watch this also comorbid cast and things like that. But you have these other things that are happening too, like, you know, the much more open talk about a digital currency or a global digital currency. And, you know, with what we've seen, right, where Russian oligarchs or whatever, like I have friends in Russia who are just typical Russian citizens, right? So they've shared out some videos and I've been in contact with them. And they're actually saying like, we have not seen a lot of changes in our, Walmart equivalent stores. I mean, they already are calibrated to a pretty meager costs of, of life, right? I mean, um, but they're saying you don't really see like a lot of changes happening here. Um, but you know, what is what are we looking at for you know a U.S. digital dollar or a digital currency? Um, let me bring this up here. Bitcoin price is currently uh yeah, it's down two percent today. I don't know. So but it seems like it's it's uh accelerating. I found uh, local sources for yeah. I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good here with uh, firewood, thankfully. So yeah. Andrew Steve, my rhino sister regrets voting for current president. She's going to grow food. Yeah, we have a robust garden. Unfortunately, we have a deer that come in our backyard. So we can only fence off so much that, but yeah. Uh, Fixed incomes and suddenly 25% if you're at a cost. Say $4,000 a month and build it. Yeah, no, absolutely right, Vanessa. So, um, you know, that is is real. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Well, not interesting, but like my book – the velocity of information releases at a, a very, you know, substantial increase in hard copy because it costs more to make hard copy. You know, I had to talk to the publisher and they're like, well, (laughs) it's a deal. Like it's hard to get materials right now. So, I mean, we have to have this higher price point for libraries, which for me is a negative because people aren't going to be buying hard copies, which is a more, you know, legacy book, right. That you're going to pass on, but still out there in, you know, the other formats and things. But, um, but, yeah, I, I see this. And I, I my house assessment went up 22% in, for this year. We got a letter last week. Our house went up 22%. So, of course, our taxes will go up 22%. And I have done nothing to the house in the last year to, you know, increase the value. And before that, it went up substantially. So, our house value in the last three years has been on an exponential uh, hyperbolic growth. It's because we live near a major metropolitan area that is growing and we are getting caught up into that. So, um, you know, right. A benefit, of course, right, is that your property is worth more. A uh, drawback is you're paying substantially more in taxes and insurance for this property. So, yeah. I mean, I looked at that. I opened, I opened up that and it's just said market adjustment, right? It's not property improvements so it's like oh my god i can't believe that happened um but poaching will be making a comeback soon. probably already is. hunting turkeys begins april 27th yes died out when it became a felony but hunger yeah i've resorted and that resorted, i shouldn't say but like i've i've revisited you know like i eat oatmeal <laughs> which is i can buy a, a a five-pound sack of oatmeal, like, very cheap at the Amish dry goods store. And I can, you know, mix in a couple things with it and whatever and and be self, not self-sufficient, but reduce my my cost. Um, John's saying my HOA dues went up 8.1%. That's before all this. Yeah, so that's – I don't live in an HOA, but write all of these incremental ways. And, yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked at, you know, even – you know what the what inflation what measures we need to do as a family to keep up with inflation. Um, right, the show getting monetized, by the way. Vanessa, you can watch it on your seven devices. Build up the watch hours so we can get monetized. Um, this town is ban hunting. This is Vanessa. I used to harvest a great many gray squirrels. We have a lot of squirrels around here, by the way. Uh DNR around me is excellent. I wouldn't dare poach. So, Department of Natural Resources, heavy water, sharing that. So, yeah, um, let me go back and read a little bit more here from the book. So, th- remember, we we're talking about comorbid events. Comorbid meaning two events happening at the same time. Cast events, and these happen ninety days or or out. So if you have like a hurricane come in, that's not coal, that's not a cold it wouldn't qualify. If you have a blackout or something, it doesn't qualify. A wildfire doesn't qualify. So you have to get 90 days or beyond. So these are pretty rare. But before we get there, by the way, a couple whoa, a couple things here is um, subscribe, um, smash the like button, which you've done. 24 thumbs up. I appreciate it. Buy this book right here. Uh, $30 hard copy. It's supposed to be coming out in delayed paperback, but my publisher will not tell me when that is. They'll just tell me, hey, we've identified uh, the ISBN number for it, but we won't tell you when it will come out. So, I don't know. Some of you will see it. $30 This is a hard copy. It's a good print. It's got a sewn spine. It's a good book. Um, this releases April 1st. And how, how did you get it, Doc? I went to the future and at DeLorean at 88 miles an hour, and I brought this book back. Um, this is an awesome book. You will not regret this. Uh, in paperback, $35. I know it's asking a lot of you. And I, I, I understand. I don't set the price for these. Um, and know that like when doc gets these out in audio and stuff like that, like I, I'm not making a ton of of royalties. That's not how this works. It's out there for you for libraries. And then as the audio comes in, it's a lower price point and stuff like that, but it's to get this out there. Um, but you will love this book. Um, I actually, I, I read this book a couple times a week. Um, so just, to, uh, nothing out there. If you like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, John Ronson, Daniel Kahneman, like that book is right there in that constellation. So before we, and so some of you, oh, Vanessa is going to now tell you how awesome that book is. Before we, uh, keep going here, I'm going to do another book. Read is, uh, I need to uh, fire up the uh, wood stove. So um, I'm going to play our little intermission clip here. So I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I have to fire up the wood stove. It's 16 degrees here. So, all right, I'll be right back. <music> These days, my a everybody, I am back. So, uh, put a few more logs on the fire, as they say here in Wisconsin in March. It's crazy, but uh, yeah, back. So, I'm going to read a little bit more uh, from the Velocity of Information here on page 146 about co-morbid chaos. So, again, two chaos events happening at the same time, but they have to happen um, the chaos events need to occur at least 90 days or, or longer. So that's kind of the, the difference is like it has to be 90 days. So if, like a tornado hits your town, that's horrible, but that's not going to be a comorbid chaos event because the tornado doesn't last for 90 days. Um, here we go. Let's get into this. Another comorbid chaos event surfaced more recently. I have the big mantra on my left-hand side here. In late December 2019, an outbreak of a mysterious pneumonia characterized by fever, dry cough and fatigue and occasional gastrointestinal symptoms happened in a seafood wholesale wet market, the Hunan Seafood Wholesale Wet Market in Wuhan, Hebei, China. Little did the world suspect that what was happening in China was a forecast of what would Happened the world over. On January 31st, 2020, the World Health Organization issued a global health emergency for just the sixth time in its 71 years of existence as human to human transmission of the novel coronavirus COVID 19 was quickly spreading across the United States, Germany, Japan, Vietnam, and Taiwan. Billions of people were ordered to stay in their homes the COVID-19 pandemic led to a dramatic loss of human life worldwide and presented extraordinary measures to public health food systems and employment. Vaccine rollouts in early 2021 were credited with dramatically reducing cases of COVID-19. The pandemic was a catalyst for rapid, Adoption of telemedicine, remote work, and distance learning. The pandemic-driven social constructs of essential and non-essential workers will influence career choices for years to come. We need to think about that. The summer of 2020 also saw the United States' biggest protest for racial injustice and civil rights in a generation. Despite a worsening COVID-19 pandemic, tens of thousands of people took to the streets to demand change, first in Minneapolis and later in New York, Washington, Portland, and elsewhere. Anti-racism demonstrators also marched to show their support in cities overseas, including Brussels and London. Despite the media focus on looting and vandalism, however, there is little evidence to suggest that demonstrations have engaged demonstrators have engaged in widespread violence. Regardless, the perception of violence persisted, and many questioned the safety and advisability of mass public gatherings for demonstrations during a pandemic. As demonstrated, chaos is not a binary event, nor does chaos require temporal or geographic confinement, certainly of duration and extent, plays a significant role in determining which level of chaos state exists along a continuum. These factors make the difference in individual and population level perception of chaos, such as the difference between a bridge collapse and a world war or a pandemic confounded by additional chaos events. So... That is page 146. Yeah. Um, so going back and doing that, that's directly from philosophy of information. Um, so, yeah. So it's interesting. So dramatic lo- So when I had dramatic loss of life, uh, that has a footnote. <laughs> so it is a citation, <laughs> as you will go in and see that. Um one of the curious, uh, curious factors, right, is if you look uh, year after year, deaths as Bacon it indi- is, I guess implied here, but right. So that was a footnote in there, buddy. Um, but yeah, this is Vanessa. First tornado uh, to hit when I was young in 1978. Since 2010, we have we've had numerous tornadoes here. One storm caused four tornadoes uh, starting here, heading east. Yikes! Yeah. I remember a tornado when I was growing up in the seventies, I remember my dad calling me from the basement. We had a bomb shelter in the house I grew up in. It was built, the house was built in the sixties and the bomb shelter, literally a bomb shelter, 18 inches of concrete reinforced steel door to go into it. This bomb shelter. So it was double as a storm shelter. I, uh, he called me upstairs um, from the basement and we were at the top of the stairs watching this tornado like go by. (laughs) So it's crazy. yeah. Hey, it's our friend Jim McIntosh. Well, oh, howdy there, Jim McIntosh. Just returned from the stories loading up on wheat. Jim McIntosh. Cost to hire math teachers with the inflation of these requirements and pandemic conditions are driving prices extremely high for teachers. Yeah. Vanessa, I think this is kind of a crazy statement to say, but I think we're going to see, well, we already see teachers in um, high needs areas, such as math, special education, speech language, pathologists, OT, occupational therapy, physical therapy in schools, um, that they receive higher pay than, let's say, a third grade teacher. Um, it, that's happening. And it's been happening for the last couple of years. Now it's being exasperated, exacerbated. I think we will see in the near future, I want to say within the next year, And maybe it's happening already. Maybe the media just hasn't caught on to this yet. We will see an agent. Yes, an education agent, just like a sports agent. And he will ask, uh, you know, he or she will ask teachers to sign on. And I will get you a better contract in a neighboring district or if you're willing to relocate or whatever. And I think that's going to be a thing. I think you're going to see if you want to get a chemistry teacher, speech language pathologist, whatever it is in your district, um, if those people sign with this agent and the agent says, okay, here's the deal. Like I will negotiate your contract and whatever, but I get like, um, you know, uh, 15% (laughs) of it or, or upfront like $7,500 or something, but I might be able to negotiate a contract of $95,000 for you. Right. Um, that's going to happen if it's not happening already. It happens already in the superintendent world, so I don't think it's that far from the education world. But uh, but I think you are going to to see that. And um, so yeah, maybe it's this whole idea of, of something like I have that I should like jump on and take advantage of. but I, I think that that's out there. Um, so yeah, um, teacher free agents. Um, will be signing with districts for like a three-year contract or, or something and then it their negotiation with the district will solely be through an agent. I completely uh, believe that will happen if it's not happening already and I believe it will become uh, more caught up by the media mainstream. It won't apply to everybody. <laughs> it will not. And I'm, I'm just saying the reality of the things like if you're teaching high school history, it's not a high demand area per your department of public education in your state or whatever, but if they d- identify these different areas, chemistry, industrial arts, um, you know, math, right. Things like that. They're going to say, okay, you know, you can go beyond your salary cap or your comp, uh, compensation liens for these people. I know that happening already in my state. I, I know people who have been, in, um, you know, reward it with uh, substantial contracts just because of the area they're in. So, and to me, I, I feel no. Uh, I'm not trying to say they didn't deserve that or anything, but um, of saying a uh, one teacher is an equivalent to uh, another teacher is pretty much out in a lot of these these states. And even new t- teachers getting hired on are getting more pay than other people's, and people are coming and say, "Hey, like I've taught here for so many years, I need to be made whole, like brought up to where this person's being paid." They're like, "Nope." So we are in- introducing this free agency, which would make a great podcast, right? I should, I should do that. I should talk about like free agency in teaching, uh, especially now because we're hearing about it so much in the NFL, like all these free agents being signed and stuff. It will happen. Um. And if you're your own agent in some of these areas, you can demand a pretty high price tag and districts um, will acquiesce. They'll, they'll, they you know, they will agree to that in a lot of situations because there just are no other options. Um, so I never thought I would see it, but I've, I've, I know teachers who have signed like five year contracts and they have bonuses in those contracts where if they complete their fifth year they get an additional um, payment, right? So so a stipend, a bonus, whatever it's called. But, yeah, that's definitely happening. finesse. Happening. Um, wrote math teacher semester year is not cheap. The time to get it is, yeah. So where I live, in again, a rural growing urban area, substantial urban, urban, urban areas, like 40 miles from me, uh, it is a bidding war for math teachers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about eighty, two hundred thousand dollars a year, you've got it. You will get that salary. That's good money. Are they upset they don't make 100000 k to wipe noses and indoctrinate children for their retired nonsense schools? Um, the whole school... Um, um, the way that schools are compensating employees in these contracts is 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 unlike anything i've ever seen. I've been in education for, you know, more than 25 years. I started private sector initially, but um yeah. I mean, it's i could go i could return now to education um in a very high income capacity. I mean, just and there's always what the headhunters, right, that are that are contacting me and and say, would you come back and, you know, or would you consider this at a district or this or this and and um, you know, so it's and and honestly, you know, recently I've I've considered some of that um, because the numbers that they put out there are just so, um, to me, they seem disconnect it with reality, but it's, it's kind of this weird reality of schools getting ESSER or these, these funds, um, from the pandemic relief and just these other things. And so I don't know, I, I haven't, actually, I have not ruled it completely out whether I would never probably return full-time, um, as a, into school administration cause I retired out of that, but you know, the, the money is, um, it, it is, you know, 40% higher than when I left right off the bat and you know so i look at that and i'm like well i i i don't know um so anyway um <gasps> whoa Vanessa, uh jim's saying i sorry get hold of alternative message yeah so um so here this fall will add to future retirement funds for me so Good, good. Um. Yeah, retirement age. Uh, if the meds develop to keep me alive, um, so yeah. Um, Vanessa, I just added a fifth insurance in December. You do not know, want to know my health care. I'm sorry to hear that, Vanessa. Right, especially as a, as a veteran. You know, I just. Strongly believe, uh, you know, we should have systems, uh, robust uh, systems in place to to uh, reciprocate um, the appreciation as a nation to our veterans. So, I'm sorry about that. Um. So, yeah, this is uh, Vanessa saying to she's saying, "I turned 60 in December. I should retire two more times by reaching 80." So, yeah. So and for those of you who don't know, the doc here dun, 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 is running for political office. April 5th is the election. So I will either be voted in or not voted in. Um, I have one other person uh, who is running for the position that I'm running for. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I could be in political office here in on uh, April 5th. By the evening of April 5th, I will know. But, uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've seriously, so velocity of information he has out, I'm excited. You know, um, Thursday, donating two copies to the local library, media is going to be there to cover it. And then it starts to pick up, right? You know, all of the, uh, the interviews, the Associated Press release comes out April 11th, even though the book got moved up to April 1st. We kept it April 11th because um, the, the, I was talking with the, the AP folks are like, well, everything is going to be election-based. Between really like, well, I mean, election inflation and in Russia and Ukraine between now and April 5th. But after April 5th, you give it a couple of days, the election stuff will will not be in the news cycle anymore. So I'm like, yeah, let's keep it April 11th, um, which is a Monday. So I'll be the press release. So there'll be a lot of stuff that's kind of lining up behind that. But um, but, yeah, I've been I've been contemplating. um returning to some contract work so i was a contractor last year and when i contract i say contract like for school administration um aspects uh, throughout the country so i have licenses in multiple states right but um and you know i didn't do that this year because i wanted to make sure that the book was finished and got to the publisher on time and, and also wanted to take a take a break because last year it really ramped up. Like, you know, in a, in pandemic situations, like people just couldn't get enough and they're just kept asking, would you take more and more on? And I did take more on and, uh, and the workload really, um, I was able to keep up with it, but it, it was, it was burning me out. Um, so then, you know, I just said, no, and they were sad. I think part of it is though like, they get sad because of two reasons. One is you do an authentic, good job. Like you're competent and you do a good job. And I think the other part is they get used to you and they don't want to change to somebody else. So there's two parts of being sad is one is that Taurus, you're familiar with somebody. And the other is like, you just know, like with, if I work with you, I'm going to deliver. It's going to be, I'm going to give you high quality consulting. So in like legal issues of, people services management, special education, so forth, stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, actually my, my company set up on that, which is just me. (laughs) That's right. But, um, but I, I've, I've really thought about um, starting it back up in fall and there's, you know, of course the clients are out there, you know, they're like, just let us know. But it is this weird commitment then it kind of like, um, uh, well, you know, you you don't have control over your schedule as you once did. Cause I retired. Right. <laughs> and then like I came out of retirement during the pandemic. Um, and then I kind of re-entered retirement in this past year. And there's a, there, there, you know, there is something to be said though, of when you're working, there's some agency and purpose to that. Like when I would get up at six in the morning and go down to the local gas station and get my coffee, and come in and kind of set up my consulting for the day, which is all happening from right here in the studio. Like, you know, I'm not putting on any miles. Um, it was, uh, pretty, there was something exciting about that. And, you know, um, so I don't know. And I, I did that. Um, so is this spam bot? Hey, I know this guy, so don't, don't nuke him. Um, but uh, before you accept any teaching job, please bounce off Aaron Clary first. Required, please. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron Clary is a good friend of mine. So, um, yeah. So when I I instructed at a university, I do uh, three classes a year. They're all legal classes. They're all uh, six or seven hundred level classes, so they're advanced. Uh, I love it. I've been there eighteen years. So I continue to do that. Um, but if I if I return to uh, consulting, yeah, consulting is very lucrative, right? I mean. It just is. And especially I'm in Wisconsin. So if I consult in California, the base consultant rate is much higher out there than it is in Wisconsin because it's calibrated to cost of living. So I kind of benefit from that, too. Um, so there's I just don't I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get back into that. Um, I have to. I have to think about it a little bit. I probably have maybe a month to make some of those decisions because if I if I'm going to do it, I need to let people know in spring before they sign with other consultants. Um, and yeah, but the velocity. Even for, I don't have a new book in the mix. I'm not jumping into another new book. So um, this might be the time to kind of get back into consulting. And I mean, for, I mean, frankly, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like with right, you know, with the economy and, and inflation. I went, I, I unretired in 2020 because I didn't know what was going to happen. None of us did. Like I thought, well, I mean, we could be looking at a Dow Jones drop of 50 percent, and you know, all this other stuff. So like, I had, a, I wanted to bolster everything for the family, even though we are we're in good shape. I mean, who would have thought? that was happening right pandemic. And now I'm kind of looking at the same thing. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if global, you know, um, economies and where the U S economy is going. Like if maybe I should jump back into the game, you know, I'm young enough, I guess to do that, um, have the energy I'm close enough to doing these things. It's not like I'm coming back like 10 years later and I can't, you know, you don't really relate to the changes. So I'm like, maybe, maybe I should do this. Um, so I, I've strongly debated that here the last. I think I have to sneeze, which I won't put you through because it's very loud. So if I do mute the mic, you know, what's happening. I I I might have to um. You know, I, I just I might do it. I might go back this fall and and restart the consulting uh, business, um, just as a hedge against you know, what could happen, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, if the, uh, Dow Jones dropped 50% and, uh, gas is $10 a gallon and, you know, a box of cereal is $8. Uh, I'm not in a great position to handle that stuff, um, with a family and, an ongoing. Um, so, and my, you know, property taxes of several thousand dollars a year. So, uh, I might have to go back into, uh, into the mix you know, fortunately I did position myself to be, um, be a consultant and be a licensed consult. When I mean licenses, I have state licenses for my different educational degrees, superintendent, director of people services, things like that, that go across different States. So I've been licensed in different States. So then when I consult in different States in these roles, it changes the way that they can reimburse me and things like that if I'm licensed in their state. So, so actually it's, it's not, it would be very difficult for somebody to jump into that. There's a high barrier of entry. And so I position myself in my company very well to do that. A company of me again, (laughs) everything you see here in this frame is in the company. That's kind of it. Um, But it, it, and it, it does, you know, to to be frank, I mean it eliminates. You know, I don't have to participate in school board meetings. I don't have any trainings I have to participate in. Um, You know, so the bureaucracy of when you when you are a ten ninety nine or you're a consultant and you're talking specifically about things to districts such as how do you do compensatory education for special education under the Individuals with Disability Education Act. I don't have to attend. You know, tra- uh, that's very specific on what I'm doing, right? So. um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge benefit. And, I, you know, I enjoyed it when I was doing it. It was, um, you know, I thought the world had kind of pulled back from the brink <laughs> when I opted last spring to sunset my consulting. Um, and then also, again, the velocity of information, you know, having to kind of work full bore through summer to make sure that that got to the publisher and got out. I mean, what a perfect time for that book to release right now. I mean, it releases in the midst of what is happening. It's just an awesome book. Um, So let's go through the uh, chat here. Connecticut. This is Vanessa has consistently been amongst the highest uh, cost of living in the country. Yeah. 40K a year is not minimum wage. 15K. Oh, where's that, Andrew? So, yeah. Um. And, you know, and frankly, um, you know, the Dow Jones is, well, I mean, just investments in general now with international exposure and you might not have thought a year or two ago, whatever stock you own or funds you had, but suddenly they're like, well, we're not doing business with Russia or, you know, whatever. It's like, well, that's a, you know, that's a big hit, um, So, you know, where do you kind of make that up in your finances? If if your retirement is dropping as you're withdrawing from your retirement, that's a really bad setup. Now, I don't have that setup, but at some point I would have that setup. Like things would be made to transition to that. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm seriously looking at uh, kind of getting the band back together here and uh, starting the consulting business back up. And the thing is – Yeah, I mean, all the structures are there to do that. So there isn't a lot to dust off to do that. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where in where I live, like it's a great job to do from October to April because the weather kind of sucks outside and things like that. But in summer, like, I don't want to be doing it. So, um, Talk it over. This is New York. Talk it over with family doc. We can't predict the future. We can't get lost family. Yeah. So my thanks New York outcast. So my, you know, my kids are older and, um, so that impact wouldn't be substantial, you know, like they're off doing their own things. You know, they're going to movies and their stuff. So, um, Yeah. Uh, So it doesn't. It it wouldn't have that big, you know. I as one thing, like I would tell. Them, if people hired me as a consultant, I would say there will be times when I will get a hold of you and say I can't. I'm not going to consult on this day, and they'll say why. I'll say because it's going to be 85 degrees and sunny. I'm going to do a 100 mile bike ride, so we got to reschedule. And as crazy as that sounds, most people would 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 pause and be like that's awesome good for you because they wish they could do the same thing and i'd be like it's just too important to me like this is a great day i'm going to be biking it's gonna be sunny it's in the forecast you know a week from now we have to reschedule and i'll do it another time or whatever but you know it just is what it is and i couldn't have done that you know a couple years ago but now i can and again i think more people respect you for that than sit there and kind of grind and say ah no they're like go for it buddy um, so yeah, Okinawa. God, I, I so regret, I have, uh, my brother-in-law, his wife is from Japan. So they go back uh, numerous times during the year to Japan. I so regret that I never went to Japan. I so regret that I did not spend some time in Japan, especially as a speech language pathologist initially, you know, with my master's degree that I could have worked a year in Japan teaching English I just, uh, that is a, a big minus, like on the, on the going back into time. Like I just wish I would have done that, um, you know, for the, for the experience and, and the culture. And, um, I was primed. I would have, I would have been, in a, I would have been uh, coveted to come in to, you know, teach English for a year or two. So, um, yeah. You know, it's kind of one one of these things too. It's like when you get to be my age, right? Doc's age, um, the, the narrative changes. So people will say, well, like, you know, you can, when I was younger, when I was 40, when I was 30, people would say, well, if you don't like what you're doing, you can always change it. Like you're a talented guy. Like, you know, you're, you're really, well, I mean, right. It kind of, but, um, when you get to be my age, that narrative changes because you can't you can't just change. The, I can't just go to Japan and check out Okinawa for a year. You can't do that with a wife and family and a house and commitments and things like that. That's kind of gone. Um, so this is the thing with reconnaissance. Like Aaron Clary wrote in his book, Reconnaissance, man. I mean, like when you're 17, 18, 19, like you need to be aware of these things and stretch yourself and do some of these. Realize what's out there. Um, so yeah, that's really, that's really important. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, New York Alka is saying If I went to Japan, I go to Honda factory and thank them for, <laughs> for my old, no kidding. Huh? So yeah, that's funny. That's, uh, I will get to UK. This is Vanessa, Ireland, Italy someday in my space. Uh, Available military graph once be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, like, uh, you know, I've looked at this and said there, there are certain things now that I know that I won't do in my life, which I don't re well, I don't know if I would say regrets the word, but like, I, I'm likely not going to very unlikely not going to go to Japan and and uh, you know, Germany and visit friends that I have overseas and, and uh you know, Ireland and just some of these things that I want to want it to do more likely, I will fulfill some things that are more proximal, like, uh, going to Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, uh, which I, you know, had wanted to do and, and just never did. But now, you know, I'm going to make that happen and, and, and visiting some friends around the country and things like that. But, um, and I, you know, I don't feel like a necessarily a loss for that. Um, I do feel though, as you know, as a dad, right? When my with my kids being younger, I want them to try um, try things that are out of their taurus, their comfort zone. Like my oldest daughter was going to go to Costa Rica. We had her all signed up. She was going to go to through class, and then COVID hit and shut everything down and canceled that. Um, but I I do want you know those experiences to happen. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of putting my things in order, you know, for, for what I want to do here. But, um, so yeah, it, it is, it is quirky, um, because as I, you know, as I said, I have to make a decision here in the next month. If I'm going to, to restart my consulting business, I don't know if that would have like an impact on the podcast or stuff like that, but, um, it would have an impact on my time and time is finite and all of that. But also like, I, I also feel it's really weird to not um, maximize that during uncertain economic times, if that makes any sense. But I feel like um, I'm leaving money on the table and it's more than money. I know I'm good at what I do. That's not a question, but I feel like I'm leaving money on the table, and that uh, is—it's a little bit hard to just check off at my age. Like thinking, well, maybe if I did this for another two or three years, like I don't know. But and again, I just things are so sketchy, you know. Like the whole—I'm—I'm—I'm just (laughs) not—I am so not sold on you know stock market retirement. I'm just not there. You know, of course, brokers will say here, like look at any 10 years and this is the return. I'm like, yeah, but look at January 1st to right now. Like that's never happened. That statistically has never happened. Adjusted like this type of loss and this international exposure and this international ability to freeze accounts. And like, what if I am investing in a company that has a, something operating in a foreign country and then, that gets shut down or even like McDonald's right now. I mean, like, so, you know, like the one of the impetuses to shut down the McDonald's in Russia was because the people in Germany, and I know this from my friends in Germany, were burning the McDonald's to the ground the last couple of weeks in protest. So McDonald's decided to, you know, that well, I would assume, like, but figure that was part of their decision making for shutting down Russia. We know all of the U.S. businesses have not. Boycott it Russia though, but um yeah. So elk god, you know, I miss I'm thinking elk, I miss jerky, whether it be elk jerky, beef jerky, um rhinoceros jerky. I don't know about rhinoceros jerky, but um you know, beef jerky was pretty affordable where I was at up until like a year ago, and there's a beef jerky jack links beef jerky plant we would drive by on our way up to vacation and if you stop there it's a small town at kind of a poverty area and they had this uh jack links outlet as part of a grocery store and you could buy massive amounts of beef jerky for very little money like 10 percent of what it would cost you in a retail store and so the, a couple of years ago we went up there and i just loaded up you know like just fill up the trunk with beef jerky and uh i don't know if it's that way now but i plan we're going to stop there again um so yeah that is uh but yeah I, I i don't know i don't feel like i don't feel right biking and packing ten dollars worth of beef jerky it just kind of goes against everything i kind of stand for here but um yeah let's go to the to the chat elk is delicious i had a when i was uh a school administrator, one of my students, high school students, well, right, the student does, brought in um, bear jerky, and uh, it was okay. It was just really uh, fatty and greasy bear jerky. So he shot a bear, and he's like, "Here, here's some bear jerky." So he peppered it up pretty good. So I mean, it was seasoned well. It's just like really kind of kind of fat and greasy. It wasn't my thing. Um, so. Yeah. Jerky. I need to, there isn't a good place to get discount jerky again, except on when we do this trip up North. Um, but that's one of those things too, where I'm kind of like, well, not that I couldn't afford it, but I just, it's, it's a psychological thing, right? Like I don't want to spend $15 between jerky and other food or $20 when I'm going out on a bike. If I do three bike rides a week, like $60, it just seems weird. Although like if you, Looked at it a different way it's say, if you're a member of a health club or whatever, you're getting physically fit and take care of your body. You're not having medical bills because of, you know, your fitness. It's a bargain, right? I just don't see it that way yet. Uh, heavy Water is saying, the worst meat is snow geese. Stay away from snow geese. New York Outcasts, if the kids and wife don't care, then definitely put some extra time in. Save or invest in something you personally can control and possess. Yeah. I think, you know, and personally, I would <laughs> I I am a dividend stock investor that's kind of my thing and uh I would I would likely continue in in some of that um so and I I don't know I see that i bonds right now are like seven percent they're all interest based but you know eventually if if they adjust it back down lower you could cash them out or right? I I don't know. Um, there isn't, I mean, I'm doing some upgrades to the house this year, like the concrete pad on the side of the house and for the garage and the concrete curbing around the the landscaping and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I could upgrade the kitchen. I could put some money there. So into hard assets. Um, but yeah. Oh my God. Beef tricky that's so cool like ah man i love beef jerky. jim McIntosh, that's like uh not saying water and wine don't go together in cold weather training attributed to the romans so yes vanessa setting the recumbent trike up for my fishing adventures nice i'm going to get a recumbent uh bike at some point um the thing with so i have i have a current traditional bike um touring bike but uh once you're out for a day you know once you're out eight hours ten hours like that it as i get older like the the positioning of that just puts a lot of pressure on your wrist in that kind of setup even though i have like a graphite front fork that absorbs a lot of shock and stuff like that, but uh, New York outcast with some advice, you never put all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely correct. Yeah. I've tried to, uh, to spread that around the best I can. Um, so, uh, so far, you know, it's, it seems like a, a pretty viable plan, but yeah, it's good advice though. Um, and You know, one of the things New York outcast that, amazes me is how significant financial financial advice or financial knowledge is to every person from whether you're getting a car loan to a home mortgage to investing to retirement investing like we don't have classes in college about this we don't study this there aren't clubs there's not like an elks club or a jc's for investing right um This massive amount of our life, which you're, you're basically told to either manage it on your own or hire a consultant, which is either if you're going through, you know, a paid brokerage, they're selling you stuff. You can get a, you know, or a CPA with investment expertise, which might be a little bit different, but like each of us should be spending five hours a week studying investments. Our fiscal, you know, options and opportunities, and just like understanding investments, like uh, what is a bond? What is a short sale? What is a municipal sale? I mean, all of these things, interest, and and we don't. It's just it's not part of society. Like I sit there and and look and say, God, I wish I would have known back in December that yeah, I bonds were paying seven percent or something. And it's so weird that again. And and how how easily we outsource that to to other people of saying oh here manage my <laughs> my future it's really it's really weird I think I'm doing a patio this summer a quote today from cement fifty six hundred it was well yeah that's about what my side that's that's kind of my quote from last year now thankfully my uh, my cement people are sticking to their quote because they could not get here before the weather changed and they couldn't, they, they were unable to get the, the work done, but they, they were telling me straight up, if, um, you were to quote this out fresh today, it'd be 60% more. So it's kind of weird too, because even though I'm having this done, my property value, my house value went up 22%. So, um, it is the area where I kind of set the chair in front of my garage and just like hang out (laughs) in the afternoon and just in the old guy watching what's going on. Uh, So yeah, this is New York. so if the system has issues, it's best to have something on hand historically has happened. Yeah. No kidding. Um, No kidding, buddy. I am. I'm with you there. Um, Vanessa, if I work, 10 at state level, I can buy into the retirement system. Another 20 years, net worth my time in USAF, Air Force and retirement, time under presidential orders and war, time teaching. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Like I have some of that because of the years I spent in working uh, basically for the state. And then there's some capacity to add to that. Um, so kind of this whole kind of blend of things, but Uh, I spend about 10 hours a month tracking my investments. Good for you, buddy, uh, spam bot fodder, which is absolutely critical. And I have multiple spreadsheets that I've made on my own to track not only my finances, right? But just to track general kind of trends and economic things, whether it be bond rates or T rates or municipal rates or Uh, certain stocks I've been interested in to pay dividends. I'm a big dividend. I'm a believer in dividend stocks. And here's why. Again, it's not financial advice, so I'm not going to tell you any stocks. But dividend stocks, um, you can look on aristocrat dividend stocks. So these are stocks which have, for like 50 years, always paid a dividend, even through the pandemic. And they've traditionally increased their dividend. So if you buy a stock for you know, a hundred dollars a share and it pays a $4 dividend. Then every year you're getting for your, let's say you buy a hundred shares, $10,000, you're getting $400 back. And then it reinvests. You can have it either either paid to your reinvest. I always have it reinvest. So it will buy $400 worth of shares, whatever the share price is. Right. So it's quarterly. So, um, but then on those shares, you're also getting dividends, right? So as you continue through time, Like right now with the market being down, all of the dividends are being reinvested. You're getting more shares because if your stock was a hundred dollars and now it's 80, you know, you're getting extra, you know, extra shares, like 1.2. Right. So it's okay if you're a long investment holder of dividends, because in a down market, you just lower your cost average on that. So. And at some point in time, you know, 15 years or whatever, 17 years, like the dividends basically pay you out what you bought for the stock. So you're kind of paid back to even, and the stock can appreciate too. I mean, the stock can go up so you can have the stock going up in value plus your dividends. Uh, So I believe in that. I believe, but I go through in companies and I'm big in utilities. I love utilities. So companies, you know, that are electric and water and stuff like that, because the pay dividends, uh, that's hard infrastructure. You just can't jump into that. There's a barrier to entry. Um, so and people need that stuff. Right. So that's my own thought. I've been there, you know, for. Gen, uh, for decades here for the safety dock. Um now, granted, you know you're not going to you are not going to hit on something with that mentality that's going to go from $100 a share to $500 a share. It's just not going to ha- likely happen. But with with those dividends uh, coming out and you know some appreciation, you can do pretty well. But I like dividends. It's not maybe it's just kind of my philosophy. It's my been my approach. And again, I'm a heavy utility person. I mean, if you're building a nuclear power plant or something like that, like it's a high barrier of entry to get into. Um, so, and you look at these stocks, I mean, a lot of these stocks are paying four to five, four to 5%, you know, interest. And, uh, so anyway, it's, it's something that I've stuck with for 20 years and it's served me well. Now other people could say, right, they could be, well, if you would have invested in this profile, like you'd have significantly more, be like true under that profile, but like right now, maybe not. Um, or if you would have done this, you'd have i don't know it's just for every person but um i don't think there's enough knowledge out there about uh you know dividend investing so anyway you just have to go you just type in dividend aristocrats you'll find businesses that have been out here's one ibm which i don't own uh, which i'm interested in but i don't own ibm which pays like a five percent dividend so and now they're getting more into cloud computing and they've paid dividends for like, what, 50 years or something. So, um, but it's, that doesn't necessarily track inflation, but anyway, spam bot. tracking time is 10 hours. Any changes on top of that? Whoa. Uh Jim is saying you could sit back on porches and shoot a deer. Yikes. You could probably do that in my backyard if we have deer here often. It's in the city. So. Yeah. I don't know if they let you keep it. American, American waterworks is one of my favorite stocks. It's gone up 22%. So yeah. See, um, util Yeah. It's good for you, Andrew. Yeah. So, you know, utilities have a high barrier of entry. So that's one of the things I, I, I th- think if we're talking investments, again, it's not an investment show, but just in common sense, if I'm selling, so if you have if you're selling like a facebook type thing right like somebody else could come up with that and there's probably not a high barrier of entry there's like you know you you could probably have 50 people servers and things like that and you could come up with something to compete it's some entry level now though if you're providing water to my house right or you know electricity uh, natural gas and things like that. Like you have to have, you know, the, the pipelines production, all of that stuff like that is a barrier of entry. And I, I really believe in this the, and it's regulated too, by the federal, usually state governments. So things that are regulated and have barrier of is that pay like a 5% dividend. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, to be honest with you. So it's kind of the old doc talking here. 5% it, it is. Yeah. Yeah, again, I don't want to get into what could be called financial advice, but I could name like 10 stocks right now, you know, that dividend stocks are out there easily 5%. Um, so, and again, if you reinvest those, you're buying shares. So if they go, and these things are always cyclical. I mean, if you look at them over like a 50 year span, it's like when there's electricity demand, like, you know, heat wave, they go up. And when there's less, it goes down and up and down. But, um, but nobody talks about this. Never had a class in high school or college or like even friends or even like an investment club. Uh, So yeah, I had a relative who was an investment club back in the seventies and eighties and did really well with that. That was back when you would have to open up like the uh, wall street journal to see the difference in a stock from day to day. It wasn't, you couldn't find it on the internet. So yeah. Yeah. Heavy Water saying, last season, one day, my wife, I was at a baby shower in the burbs, sent a pick of a 10-point buck uh, while I was in a tree stand seeing nothing. That's, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Vanessa saying, I worked at a paper mill that had the highest return in investment at the time in a retirement fund. That was the fastest earning one. Yeah. Yep. So. Absolutely. I mean, some of these hard assets. So around me, like this is a big paper mill country here in Wisconsin. Uh, some of these mills have, have shut down, but at a time they were uh, strongly uh, producing. Um, so all those paper mill in the country, says Vanessa. So, yeah. Uh, GameStop has a 9% dividend in Microsoft. Uh, apes has been over the Yikes, Jim. Yeah. So. I'm, you know, where I invest typically I don't invest anything that I don't intend to hold for 10 years unless there's some crazy thing that happens in the industry, right? <laughs> you know, someone does you know invents a Mr. Fusion and suddenly power companies are on the ropes, then I would be out of that. But um I usually go with like a 10-year plan when I when I get in into stuff. But you know, right now I think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of opportunities. I'll say one cause I don't own it. Honda motor company trading about $30 a share. I don't know. I haven't checked it today, but, um, like a 4% dividend. Right. But you know, Honda is, I, I, I think on, I mean, that's a great value. I mean, I think Honda is, has a bright future ahead. That's a strong dividend. Um, so yeah, Andrew's saying, if you can find out, uh, there's a Twitter account that spans it in the SC. Right. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, interesting. Hey, I hate utility companies. There's a damn monopoly in my area. I had a place once that a custom-owned company for the area, and the bills were ridiculously low. The big companies rip us off. So, yeah. Well, will tell you, I'm not talking about the ethics of all of these companies and stuff, but I will say that the stability of investment is typically there with... I've experienced personally with, um, utilities. So, um, yeah, but so utilities. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, uh, I don't know. I mean, it gets, there's all this weird thinking, right? Because you, you can be like, well, I can invest in this, but what if the, uh, you know, what if the government freezes just some accounts, right? And just takes so much off the top or whatever, or, um, every, uh, you know, so th- there's so many variables now that are like, how do you, how do you kind of cover the basis? I don't know. Vanessa, I drive by Boston dynamics dynamics the other day, hoping, uh, that I spot, uh, the robot for math classes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Boston and X has those awesome videos they put out on the web. So that's funny stuff. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm yeah. That's one of the things like when you're investing, you have to separate your emotions from the company. And one of it too, like as a, as somebody who invests for 10 years, like if I buy some as an individual security, if I buy something, I intend to hold it 10 years unless there's something identify that's catastrophic right (laughs) um you know so yeah this is bacon saying tom like saying buy more in home lows or home depot yeah it makes sense those go up if you look at utility stocks um on the east coast or west coast a heat wave hits the utility stocks jump so i mean then i mean if you're trading in and out of those maybe i don't do that but i mean you can cyclically look at those um but yeah, so it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's so, I, I think there should be something for retired people. If you're 55 or older, you should be able to put um up to like $200,000 a year, not $200,000 a year, $200,000 total into a a bond, a government bond, which would pay you like six or 7%. I just think that should be there for people so they could plan on that, like, you know, retired people. Um, And instead, you know, what do they have? Like an EE bond, which might be a half a percent or an I bond, which is just completely inflation benchmark. So it might be great now, but it could be zero a year from now. But I think there should be something like that. I mean, if you're 55 or older, that you could have this special bond this access to this one, you know, bond, like an I bond, you can buy like what 10,000 a year, I think, but maybe you can have a maximum investment and you could get a interest rate from the federal government of six or 7%. So if you had 200,000, you get 14,000 a year, but, um, I don't know. I think it makes sense to stabilize things out for people, elderly people who are living on a fixed income and all this crazy stuff that's happening. Um, but again, who am I? Just a safety doc. With this book, which heavy water, you want to buy this? Get the paperback. Order it tonight. John Rice, you're thinking about New York Outcast. Bacon. Guys. Andrew, thinking about it right here. Jim McIntosh, right here. It's an amazing book. It's amazing. So um, so a recap. I am uh, feeling kind of uh, disappointed in this hose that I bought today. It's by Swan company swan called soft and supple and uh i had one but it was eaten by a squirrel so i had to throw it out and uh this one is like i i hooked it up today to the hose reel and like it's all kinked up and it's just like like this just is not that good of a hose like and, and there were many hoses to pick from um and I'm like, none of these are really good. Uh, like you can just tell how they cheapen the quality of these, these hoses. So, um, I mean, this is a hose, right? But, uh, well, yeah, I, I'm a heavy water. I will, I will follow that. I'm, I'm close to just ditching this hose of just like throwing it away. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I also bought the LED uh lights, the shop lights, uh, for my furnace room, and those are amazing. It actually has like a, a setting for like low or high, and I'm like, the thing was a thousand times better than the old fluorescent tube thing I had in there. Uh, it just um, for like 50 bucks. I'm like, holy smokes! Um, I have it set, yeah, it's like a low, I have it set on low, like on high, it's just like it's crazy bright. Um, so. That's cool. And you can daisy chain them. So they just come on. Like I have it, I have the outlet on the, that's, they that plug into is wired on the switch for the lights. So I don't know. The small things that make Doc happy. Um, yeah. Well, no, I'm definitely going to the hose. It's called a Swan hose. The company is Swan. I don't know. It was, like 45 bucks or something, hundred foot hose, but it was, it's called supple, soft and supple. And the thing's not either of those. Um, I just, you know, jeepers. And it just like, it was just a mess. I'll tangle up in like all these, uh, I don't know, Uh, so I'm kind of stuck and it's kind of this like iffy thing, like I don't want to put a, it's a hose for the backyard. I don't want to put a lot into this investment, especially now that the squirrels have kind of taken, they've gnawed up the hose. The thing that contains the hose has been like eaten. Like there's parts of it, like they've just gone through and chewed up, which is okay. That thing's kind of old and it still does its job, but like, I don't need them to be uh, going in there and eating up another hose. Uh, that sucked because, um, I've got a hundred foot Goodyear hose. Oh God. Yeah. See like there, like that would be great. I think what I would do is I would buy like a really good hose. So like email me, I'm here in the YouTube thing. You can find my email, but, um, if you've got a link or you're like, here, get this hose on Amazon. I've had it and it's great. That's what I appreciate. I would, um, I would move it to the front of the house where that's the hose that washes the vehicles and stuff like that. And I've moved that current hose in the front to the back. So it's kind of weird like a hose shouldn't have that big of an influence on things, but it kind of does. Uh, Jim McIntosh, I mean, one to five years older. So um, is Alex Patino. Crappy Chinese. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it it is just really... Uh, yeah it's kinking it's got you know so as i wind it up like and i try to like you know remove the kinks like very carefully with the pliers and some cardboard to not like leave a mark on the hose and but i'm like this just sucks like you even when i was in the store i'm like this isn't a great hose but i didn't want to spend like a whole bunch of money on a rubber hose for again what's the backyard And in winter, I mean, so I take in the hose reels in October because it's Wisconsin, right? I mean, there's no need to have a hose outside unless you're fighting a fire. Um, And then they sit in until now. And then I bring them back out for spring. So in winter, they're not out there. It's just that. So it's really April through October. They're outside. Otherwise, the hoses all come inside. Um, But, yeah, that thing was damn disappointing. Like, I... I regret that I bought it, to be honest. Um, so I don't know. Um, anyway, just irritating. I don't know if they take it back or not. I don't know if I want to make the drive to, to take it back. It's all kinky, <laughs> right? So this is a kinky hose. I'm not, a, I don't appreciate this hose. I don't know if they would get all grumpy about it or not. Like, I just think it's better to just like, if I decide to get rid of it, just go on. My workshop bill will allow me to build an insulated shed for the well pump. We're trying to keep the wall running your own. Awesome. Bacon saying, Hey, hoses with kinks can command a premium price. Yeah. There was something on the front of the hose packaging. it, It said there was a review and it, and, uh, something like this hose uh, doesn't uh, get kinky at all or something like that's kind of a weird review like i'm not sure i would put that on the front of my my product here but it does it's uh it's 100 foot hose too because i have a big backyard and i need to be able to kind of cover that area for different purposes but uh i don't know here i shouldn't be upset about this right <laughs> it should, I should just be rolling off it's a hose it's hooked up now it'll probably be functional i um, i guess what i'm it's nostalgia like i'm just disappointed because the hose that i took uh, uh, i dis, you know I, unco- I disconnected it today and threw it out because it was eaten by the squirrels i'm like this it just was better it was a better hose and the only reason it gave up the ghost is cuz the squirrels ate it and i'm like why can't i get this today why can't I f- I find this? Like even if I'm willing to pay a little bit more, why is it not out there? The transcript of the show could sound really round. Yes, it could. We'll see if uh, they put that out there or not. So, yeah, hoses. It's disappointing. Who would have thought? It's a young man. No one ever talked to me. Hey, when you eventually get a home, garden hoses. So, it's just disappointing. But, yeah, like the shop light, though, holy smokes, that thing is awesome. The new LED shop light, re, you know, replacing the 30-year-old fluorescent tube, you know, thing down here, which in my uh, furnace room slash wood area slash pantry, like, holy smokes, big difference. Um, so, Yeah. Well, um, let me tell you kind of what I'm up to right now is, so I'm recording the velocity of information and audiobook. My, my, well, I'm narrating it. Uh, There's a studio in my town, a professional sound studio. So I go there Wednesday and Friday mornings and then a sound engineer sets me up in a booth and listens as I'm recording. And then in real time tells me like, repeat this sentence or whatever um, to make sure we get everything right. And and then uh, he is uh, producing everything down into the files. So I'm working with Findaway um, Voices. So that's my distributor. And I've loved working with them. So I'm, uh, they're doing both books, but uh, Findaway Voices. So um, School of Errors will release. It'll be like in Audible and Google Audio and whatever, Nook or whatever that the audio stuff is out there all over the world, um, in libraries, but, um, but yeah, I am just, uh, I've, it's been a great experience, um, so far with find uh, Findaway Voices and I said October, August 1st for the release, but likely it'll be before that because everything is there for like, I should have all of the files by June and then there's really not much to do. Like I have the cover art already. And there's a PDF, which will be the, what is it? The bibliography will be in there. I don't have any figures in the PDF. So that'll, I mean, it take me like a day to produce that. And so I could release it earlier, probably in July and get it out there. So um, it's me. It's my voice though. It's right. It's me narrating. So, and um, it is fun um, to do this. And I practice and I listen to myself at night and it, the one thing is you build up endurance because to narrate a bo- at least for me, like if you're a professional narrator or whatever, and I, you don't, but for, for me, I found it was very difficult to keep, uh, I, my voice would start to get raw, breathy, stuff like that. It had 40 minutes of narrating. And so I practiced and built up my endurance. So we go, between like 80 minutes and like a hundred minutes of narration. And then there might be, then after that I come out of the booth. Well, there's periodic breaks, but I come out of the booth and then the narr- the audio engineer has a complete trans has all of the book as a paper document. So he's going word by word and then he'll say, okay, sit down and uh, okay. I'm going to take you back to the booth and here are, you know, 15 words. I want you to repeat. Right. And then because when I said them, whatever, they weren't as clear as they needed to be or something. And then I'll repeat those and he'll just like, you know, bring those into the document. So, and then usually I stay for the first uh, part of the mastering of the files where he's editing them just to kind of check out. I, he, he knows what he's doing, right? but he's just kind of showing me like, here's where, here's what I'm trying to do with this. Um, and then, yeah, so it's cool. It's a legacy item to do it. My Well, it's two things. One is the publisher wouldn't have allowed me to do it any other way because that book did not have exclusive auditory rights in it initially, but um, it's a legacy item like that'll always be out there in my voice. And for my kids, it's kind of cool to have something their dad had narrated. And then also for all of you, who enjoy the book or enjoy my work? I mean, that'll be very affordable, and and uh, so you're going to hear kind of what you hear tonight in a much more coherent, <laughs> sensible way. But, um, so that is that is cool. Um, so I've enjoyed it. I've I've really enjoyed the work on that and then the end product. And I never, you know, these things like I go back. I, I took a long walk. I was walking. First of all, this is uh, uh, Vanessa said. Audiobooks give access. It does. More, and I had to go with my publisher, we kind of went round and round on this because they initially didn't do school VAERS and with an audio option. And I said, I, I worked at a school for the blind for four years. Like I have friends who are completely blind and they said, you know, audiobooks um, are much different than just having a text reader go through a, a book. Because that's where my publisher was like, well, we have text readers for all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's not the same though. Like, trust me, like I worked with, you know, kids and adults who are completely blind like audio is a different experience and plus just if you have barriers to print or you just prefer to be doing other things you're driving or you're working you're doing something you want to have this on in the background like it's a way i love audiobooks myself too like i didn't understand like the big barrier to entry uh with this and then when i did velocity information i had it built right into the contract but um but yeah, it is. It is really cool um, to you know to 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 do that to have that book out there and to have that available. Uh, so I'm excited about that. So I go back and I look at the last ten years. I took a walk the other day. So I, if I walk around my town, it takes me a few hours and it's like a seven eight mile walk. It's kind of weird because where I live, like when I walk around my town, I walk past lakes. <laughs> I walk past an airport. You know, I can walk past the hospital. Like, there's so much where I'm at. Like, you it, it, it can quickly get out into the country. Um, so it's, it's you know, an interesting walk. But um, I was I was thinking, like, the last 10 years for me, I've done two PBS presentations, two books. And I will have – if I take, what is it, 2013 to 2023, there will be two PBS national presentations, two books – Worldwide distribution and two audiobooks, worldwide distribution, which is pretty awesome professionally. Um, so kind of like boom, like that's like that that 10-year sliver right there of a career is uh really contributed a lot to the scholarly base. So um Jim's saying I used to be an amway. I failed that, however. I love their educational tapes. Yeah, my brother was an amway. For a while. So back in like the 80s. So um, so yeah. So Wednesday morning I go back to the studio and we continue to record. And uh and I'll I will be completely honest. Um that recording an audiobook is the the I what I don't know how to describe it, if it's the most intimidating, um professional thing that I've done, like presenting on PBS, you would think presenting on PBS before a, a live national audience would be crazy maddening. It really wasn't at all. Um, like, I love that stuff. Uh, but the audiobook stuff is, was very, there's a, you have to prepare a book ahead of time and how you're going to narrate certain things, leave certain things out or people's last names, stuff like this prosody and your, your pace. And, it, you know, you really you can't, be different from chapter two to chapter eight like you can't have significantly different ways that you approach those so how do you get consistency and then the other fact of like having your audio engineer immediately stop you when you got done with something and say go back and do it again at first it's it seems like a little condescending it's a little bit over it was hard for me to but that's exactly what the audio engineer needs to do because you know they need to be getting the best capture of what you're saying so it's really weird. Um, but also it's like, I feel like I'm growing. Like, I feel like I'm learning through this process. Uh, I know that I'm learning and this is all good. Um, so I don't know. Um, New York Outcast. Doc is walking around scoping out the neighborhood again for research. Yeah. <laughs> so the neighbor, Yeah. The neighborhood. So. In summer when I walk, when it's hot, like those are, sometimes I have to like stop and grab something to, to drink. Like it gets so like, but I, I love, um, I love being out in the sun. Um, yeah, I've got a a pretty, uh, uh, from where I'm at, I have a couple routes that I can, can walk, which are nice, except in winter, you know, it sucks because I live in the second oldest community in my state. So there are no sidewalks. Very few. So you're like out on the roads or trails and if those ice up and stuff, it gets bad. So, um, Vanessa is saying you were learning how to record a book. Yeah. And there is this whole process of learning how to record an audiobook. And like I said, I don't do it here. I do it in a studio. So it's all the professional equipment, a sound booth and stuff and, and, and things like that. So, um, and then the, the engineers edit editing everything, you know, putting all of it together but uh, there's much to learn with that. It's just not simply you open it up and you, you read it. Right. I mean, are you going to, you know, what do you do for abbreviations? What do you do for citations? Um, you know, and then if you change too much, you no longer have a, a it becomes an unabbreviated, you know, where it's, uh, you know, change from the, the original or what do you do when you get the figures in a book? Like how do you narrate those? Um, and, and it, I mean, all those I guess are mechanical. The thing for me was like pace. How do you pace yourself? So if you're recording Wednesdays and Fridays, that each of those days aren't significantly different. So if someone's listening, like, oh, this is a great day for Doc, or here's a day where Doc seems really like tired or something. So that's where my engineer will will stop and he'll say, Hey, listen, let's listen to five minutes of like last recording. Like, here's where you need to match. You need to come in at this energy. So which is great. Um, I like hiking New York, I hiking trails. I, I'm with you. Like when I, where I hike and also where I bike, like no one else goes. <laughs> so I tell people where I go, I tell my family where I go. I'm like, if I don't come back, like here's the, here's the trail I was on or the, here's the route I'm going to bike today. But like if I bike, I might not see anybody else for an hour. So um, yeah, it is really rural stuff that I'm doing. But I prefer that uh, speaking in public, et cetera, is, uh, is a very good skill to learn. Military taught me auditorium I speaking. Yeah, it is right. It, it, you know, that's one I've never had a fear of public speaking. And when I sp- presented twice on PBS, the only thing that ir- irritated me one time on PBS was I had a, an external link that I thought we should have internalized. Like, basically, I would have just brought it up from the screen in front of me versus, like, going out during a live show. And it did have a hiccup going out. So it had, a you know, and I used the doc personality and cover for that until they were able to like fix it in the booth and stuff like that. But, um, but no, I don't, I, I, I thrive off of that. Like I, when I present in big audiences or PBS or something like that, those are awesome presentations. That's why people email and say it was a really credible, um, yeah and then I you know you stay afterwards and people are in the audience asking questions and things but you know I do less of that now I was in, I was invited to present at a large conference and it's, it was a little bit outside of my wheelhouse I just said uh I'm not really into that anymore you know um I just I'm I'm not you know I'll do interviews I'll do key, I'll do keynotes if they're smaller for like a business or a school district or something that's but I, I'm just I'm not, not that I fear it. I don't at all. I just, I don't like the travel. Um, and I just don't want to kind of do the prep for it anymore. And just the whole, the whole conference scene. I don't know. For me, I kind of grew out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, the conference stuff is so weird anyway, with the pandemic. I, I, I don't know. Spam about fodder saying, uh, a good sound engineer. Yeah. My sound engineer is awesome. <laughs> And he's my age. So it's weird being, st- when you're presenting, uh, you're, pre- you're narrating, being stopped and told, Re- repeat this again. Because, like, you know, just I, I, people don't typically do that in my normal interactions in life. But he has to do that, right? Because he has, he's needs to get the clear take. And I, I'm so glad he does that. Um, but yeah. So Vanessa's saying, um, my commanders found out the presentation classes presentation classes were rated so highly by the attendees. They decided to have me. That's cool. Vanessa, you bet. I love listening to, um, great presenters, right. And everybody does. And and, and people want a presenter to succeed. So, I mean, if you're passionate and organizing, can relate to people as a presenter. So, you know, again, like, you know, I, and maybe this is something where i'm just i i will revisit it sometime and return to presenting i did some big presentations in the last couple of years not only pbs but you know other big keynotes and things and um i don't know um it was <laughs> new york saying uh uh dr Tyrell, the group is, uh sweating him yeah i am uh I don't like the travel. So like, this is probably where Aaron Clary and I, you know, Aaron and Aaron's a friend of mine. We're both from Wisconsin. you know, And I see Aaron quite a few times, you know, throughout a, a year, but um, I don't really care for the travel anymore um, to go somewhere. And I don't care for the, the conferences are all the same. There's no difference. If you've done one, if you present presented at one conference, they're all the same, you know, and yes, you get treated well, but I mean, then there's so much downtime and, conference meals, right? And the, I don't know. Um, and, I, and I just, I don't know. It's, it's just, I, it's just kind of not my gig anymore. It's kind of like back in the 90s. I went to every Green Bay Packers home game in the 90s, every single one in playoffs. It was cool back then, you know, Brett Favre and Reggie White and things were, you know, a crescendo for the team, you know, and now I haven't, I haven't gone to a game in like 15 years. I took my brother-in-law to a game, um, but I, like, I just don't have any interest. Like, and people always ask me because they, you know, tickets of so like, Hey, do you want to like go to, I'm like, not really. Like, I just don't, I just don't want to, <laughs> I just, it's not my thing anymore. You know, I don't want to sit out in the cold and I just don't want to wait in line and I just don't want to drive there and drive back. And I've experienced that's good enough for me. Like I'm fine. So I'm good. Um. So, Jim is saying travel does. Yeah. It's just not appealing to me anymore. I, there is a, it just isn't. I just don't want to, to, to do that. Um, Vanessa saying people were asking me what the heck I did during that course. I told them they had to come up uh, to learn. So yeah, absolutely. Bacon saying doc. uh, We know doc was in the traveling gigs for the freak. Yeah the free Connell breakfasts. Yeah. No kidding. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, um, before the pandemic. Um, you know, as you get older, like to be away from home and stuff gets to be more tedious and travel and stuff. I don't, I don't really care for that as much, but, um, but then that just changed it. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not delivering a keynote where I have to wear a mask. Um that change you know, it changes the, the whole dynamics of everything, or you know, I just I I no just forget it. I'm not just it's not something I'm interested in. Um New York Outcast. It's nice when events happen in a place you actually want to go for some reason. to pers- yeah, I've done that. <laughs> You're right. There are places where I'm like, I want to go there. So like I will present. That was a big part of, of my when I would go and keynote and stuff like that, especially in Wisconsin, if it's like somewhere warm, you bet. Um, no kidding. Travel is a uh, professional homeless person did that in the Marines. I'll think, you. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're always, you're packing and you're up and down the dial, like, you know, WKRP in Cincinnati. You get in that perpetual. Yeah. Pack and unpack mode. And I don't know. You know, and it's the same conversations with people too. I mean, they're glad to have you there, right? And things like this, but you're having the same initial conversation. So if you hang out with people at night, it's this usually you're listening to them, which is okay. Um, but I I don't know, I just don't it appealed to me much more in my 30s and 40s than it does now. It just doesn't uh so you'd have to really have a pretty powerful pry bar to get me to present anywhere these days. So, you know, <laughs> it just isn't going to happen. Heavy water travel does suck. If you could simply walk into a plane and light a smoke. Yeah. Now you have to wait for an x-ray search, get tested for disease. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. Just uh, so just not into the logistics of things. I used to have it set up, you know, where if you present somewhere, they had to pick you up at the airport. You know, all of that stuff was done, right? And, you know, they have, accommodations would be already set up for you and paid and things like that. But still, like, it just takes this chunk of time out of your life. And um, I don't know. I never thought it was worth it. I don't know. It was worth it at some point, like when I was building up my credentials and experience, stuff like that. But it's, not, it's just not worth it now. Um, I don't know. But with that said, if somebody wanted to fly me out to Hawaii to do a keynote, pay my expenses and stuff, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So, um, New York guess I normally have a great time when I travel for pleasure. Everyone is so nicer when you leave New York. I imagine. Um, yeah, no kidding. 1970s. Yeah, looking back, cheapers. You know, we went to uh, we went to Disney. I drove the family down to Disney in 2017. It's kind of a national lampoon's vacation, and um, so from Wisconsin in winter, and so we left snow to you know 85 degrees Orlando, and 2017 was the perfect time to go. I mean, who would have known? Like forensically looking back, but I mean, no pandemic, gas was cheap. People were nice. Country wasn't, you know, super stressed over war or inflation or things like that. And uh, we just had a, a, every day we were down there was 85 and sunny. And driving had had, uh, uh, some benefits too, because we got to stop in some places that I wanted to to kind of experience and getting to see some different parts of the country. And I had a really cool vehicle at the time too, that I drove down there. So it all did kind of mix in, uh, in a good way. But like today, would I drive it? No. Um, or even like flying is kind of weird today. Like I don't, I I, even like the Disney thing is like, I'm the whole appeal of Disney with everything going on. And I've had friends who have gone to Disney and they've said, "Yeah, it's just not the same. It's far from the same, you know, um, having, uh, you know, very prescribed times for lines and, and fewer things open and less spontaneous, you know, the parade, the big parade stuff has been scaled back. It, and I said, it just isn't, it hasn't bounced back. It's a different feel to it. So I don't know. I'm glad I did it when I did. We went out to South Dakota in the summer of 2018, drove out there and that was also perfect timing to get the family out there. So, um, yeah, this is, I hate being a pastor. I, so do I, that was one thing too. Like I, I got to the point toward the end when I was doing keynotes and stuff for consulting and be like, I only fly business or first class. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I, if you're going to do this, that's my condition. I will only do this. Um, so yeah. Um, And you can't pull over and grab a three-quarter pound bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's on Airplane. Oh god, no, we we ate at some great places on our way down and back from Orlando. There was a place in Paducah, Kentucky. Um had had great, like a family restaurant. Had been there for like, you know, 80 years or something, and all the locals like we pulled up and like the the fire department had one of the fire trucks there, and they were in there eating, like as you can tell. uh, this place was great. And it was, and the food was so reasonable. I think like the whole meal for my family, family of four was like $25. I mean, it, it was crazy. Like it was like, I was like, are you sure you're charging me enough for this? I don't understand. And, you know, it's kind of that, that moment in time. So Spambot saying, Hey, we drove from Calgary to Orlando, man. Good for you. 54 in a van. That sucks, though. Uh, I'll tell you though, I, I'm glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I did that. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, as we uh, as we wrap up here, um, buy this book. Vanessa will tell you why. And uh, if you're not going to buy it, you can log on to your email. get into your email, find your local library and say, Hey, I live here. Please put this book in your library for these reasons. It's awesome. Vanessa said so. Libraries will do that. If you email and say, I live here and this book should be in here to inform parents and taxpayers about how schools are spending money. I would read it, right? I'd come in and read it, get this book. Because what they do is they look it up then on their system and they're like, okay, it's a, it's published. It's out. And, hundreds of libraries they'll buy it they usually won't like try to negotiate you down or anything here's a box of crackers will that take care of it you know don't it but um no that that works and uh so you know contact especially if you have library cards even more so but say you just take it take three minutes for doc find your local library their email thing and say hey like I'm a resident here. Uh, we should have this in our library. You can usually search. Maybe your library has it. <laughs> I had somebody who, who said they did that and their library. Responded and said we have the book, and they're like, "Oh, okay, sorry, I didn't know that." But um, yeah, so that that was kind of cool. Anyhow, velocity of information. This book is um, uh, uh, there's again, there's nothing like it. I mean, I, this is it comes out officially April first, but. I, I have high aspirations for this book. I, I think this is going to be in the running for awards and recognition. Um, it's punchy. Like, no one is going there. It's not a book about a reset or it's not, you know, where you're going to go in a very um, uh, cognitive, um, engaging lane throughout this book. Uh, it's not going to go politically one way or another. Conspiracy theory—it's not going to go down those routes. So when you when you're done with this, like it's—I think you're just going to be like, wow, because I still get that feeling when I read it. Like I just think it's a wow book. And the people I interviewed, who are typically people that don't give interviews, who this help me inform this book—I'm uh, just really happy with it. And as Vanessa said, the book could not launch into a better environment for it. Even though there's inflation and all of this stuff going on, the book matches exactly what is happening right now. And that is priceless. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's a book where you will go back and you'll read it uh, six months later and it, it will resonate a little differently with you. You'll pick some things out and it will always be relevant. So Bacon said, man, my local library Moonlights as a temporary homeless encampment. I don't know anyone going there is going to rent it. Maybe a velocity have lost some information. Yeah, libraries have kind of changed, right? Um, but yeah, um, but li- libraries, if you go to most library homepages, they will ask their patrons to request books. And if their patrons request it, they typically have funds that will go for it. I have been quitting your school of errors ever since I finished it. Quitting. All right. So it is a sort I think I'm misinterpreting that, Vanessa, but I know you you enjoy the book. Um, so yes, um, it is really velocity of information quoting. here we go. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm like, oh no, Vanessa's given up on the book. yeah, quote i I quote the Taurus out of there a ton. Um, and from velocity of information, I'm, you know, a quote out of there, like, you know, extracting intelligence from information and things like this. And I'll tell you, like, when you start saying things like, I'm informing my decisions based upon what member checks other people are telling me, people are like, holy smokes, what are you, that's amazing what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it's it's good stuff. So all right, what I, what I think I'm going to do next Monday night is um, I think that show is going to be the difference between crisis and chaos, because that's a chapter in my book, Philosophy um, of Information, the difference between crisis and chaos. And people will intermingle those, you know, they're same same thing, but they're not. Uh, they are substantially different. And I will tell you exactly how to identify if something is a crisis or something is a chaos, is a chaos event. And I, that's going to be very helpful for especially what is kind of happening right now. But as a recap for today, and thank you Vanessa for having that book front and center, I have it on my left-hand side and I picked out, this is from the, my first box of books. So this is my, my, uh, my working copy of loss of information that I start to mark up and stuff. Um, of course, school of airs, but, um, yeah, it is, it is, uh, so so today we talked about comorbid chaos events. So think of chaos that goes on for 90 days, Great Depression, um, the dust storms, you know, the 1930s, the pandemic, inflation, um, civil unrest, and now international conflict. So you have these types of things, and those are, When they happen comorbid, two of those things happening at once, Um, that's very, very rare, actually, in history to have those happen for 90 days and keep going. And when those happen, people usually do crowd in behavior, which I wrote about and kind of shut down entrepreneurial Spirit, like you're not seeing new businesses start up, or at least as many as you thought. People aren't going to school to get advanced degrees. or not kind of changing jobs. These types of, not taking vacations, whatever it could be, um, because they don't think things are getting better, especially now when you enter the second wave of a chaos event. So, people are going to cut back. They're spending a ton, and we're going to see this kind of ripple through. You know, when, you, when people feel that it's no longer transitory, they'll start to... You know, start their own business or take on, uh, you know, do vacations or do some of these things again. But we're not there, and uh, we're yeah, we're we're pretty far from that right now. So people are just really cocooning in, and it's one of these things. If it if it continues to happen for another year or two, is it's really going to hammer the economy and just kind of the psyche of people. It's going to wear people down because um, again. What would be your motivation to be a new small business owner when you could be deemed essential or non-essential at any moment? Or if your, you know, uh, business could be hammered by inflation or suddenly now your your cost to, you know, ship things has gone up fourfold or something like that. I mean, people aren't going to deal with that. Um, so we don't have any stability. I, th- I think it's going to happen. I think stability will come back maybe after midterm elections or maybe I think 2024 would be like the, the point. And if it, if it wouldn't happen, then, then, ouch, then I think we're in trouble, but all right. Well, everybody, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate all of you. Um, uh, Vanessa, uh, Bacon, uh, Jim, heavy water, uh, Spambot fodder, uh, New York outcast. So thank you so much. So yeah, I'm going to, uh, exit here and uh fire up the uh, fireplace bring up some wood and we will do our exit the same as our intro right here so i appreciate it all right everybody uh whoa here we go have a mm-hmm. uh, terrific night and i'm going to exit us out the same way that i brought us in all right take care everybody Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.